two. Hey guys, so we are unofficially starting the live. So for those of us who are watching later on pre-taped, you're going to start here, but most people won't join in until we get a chance to start sharing the videos. So I'm going to go to Facebook and tag Michael and Sade in a comment so they can both start sharing and then I'll share to some places. And then in about less than 10 minutes, we will start the official discussion. So I'm very excited for anybody who's listening. I'm super excited to talk to Sade. I had the privilege of speaking to her briefly leading up to this and she's just amazing. This is going to be a, one of our, I don't want to say one of our better discussions because we've had nothing but great discussions up until now, but it will be, uh, so Michael and Sade, I both tagged you in a comment so that you guys can go and then share the video so that your followers can see it. We're excited okay. to talk. And uh, anybody wants to, uh, <clears throat> to, to say anything while we're doing this, again, just to, you know, these people are, we got about 20 people already watching us do nothing so far. <laughs> So I'm going to share it to some places. Okay, guys, if, if anybody who's watching, uh, please uh, like, comment, share the video. We want to have uh, as many people viewing as possible. Uh, we have a great guest tonight. We want to make sure she has a great audience. Um, how do I do this here? I'm going to share to some groups. I got to remember how to do that. here. I see you, Charles. Hey, Charles, I think we're, I, hopefully, I mean, who knows where the discussion will go, but I know at least we're hoping to touch on one of your uh, passion projects with voter suppression. So we'll see if we have a chance to get there, but I know that's one of your things, Charles. I see you. Um, see here. here michael's michael's in the house i see you charles hey charles i think we're I hope i mean who knows where the discussion will go but i know at least we're hoping to touch on one of your uh passion projects okay questions so we'll see if we have a chance to get there michael that's you um <laughs> you can click okay uh so we're gonna like i said we'll just bs a little bit and we'll give people a chance to get here and we'll start in a few minutes um <laughs> Michael, what did you have for breakfast today? Let's let's do a little BS in here. You know, don't I don't have breakfast, man. I have a couple of them, them uh, goalie, uh, what are they called? Um, apple cider vinegar joints, and then oh, you still really been serious on your health program? And then uh, that's awesome. Some kind of plant based protein drink. I don't eat solid food till the evening. Usually. Have Have you noticed a difference since you started doing that? I don't know. I won't be able to really tell until I get out in the world and start trying to move around and do things that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. I, uh, yeah, I sometimes forget that I'm not recovered, and then I try to do stairs, and I'm like, oh, stairs. I, I hate these things. So, um, what about you, Shade? Any, any random mundane trivia from your day before we start the official discussion? Oh, I don't know about trivia. I had like a breakfast bar because I was running to court and I was going but for breakfast mm. and then I ate, I ate some popcorn oh okay dried fruit yeah it's like they're chocolate covered oh, because oh, oh, watch out 
Yeah, chocolate covered blueberries. So I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be eating. I apologize. You get upset. Well, gotta get, gotta get your sugar up. You do your thing. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, my wife has been spoiling me. I don't know if it's because we're stuck home because of the pandemic or if it's because of me being, you know, home from the hospital and whatnot. But almost every morning, she makes me a breakfast sandwich on uh, turkey bacon, a runny egg, uh, American cheese on an English muffin. And then I, yeah, it's, it's apparently it's less calories than whatever I was having before. So she's, she tells me that I'm actually being healthier, but it doesn't seem healthier. It seems pretty decadent. <laughs> so I'm, 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 I'm awfully. And keep, keep rolling with it. Hey, I, uh, I'm, 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 I'm very grateful for that. Thank you, baby. I'm sure she's watching. Yeah, that's right. Thank that baby. Yeah. <laughs> So. I mean, less health, more healthy than what you had before doesn't necessarily mean healthy. Yeah, but it right. actually sounds yeah. really legit, though. Well, good point. Yeah. You said turkey bacon. JJ, I've asked you to send me breakfast, and you won't do it. There's a gentleman who just commented who is uh, um, who offers who makes free breakfast. I think for his friends and family in Houston, Austin, somewhere in Texas, and every. Uh, Every time he posts that he's making breakfast for people, I comment to him to FedEx me some, and he hasn't done it yet. He's not a good friend. JJ, so, can you can you hook me up a little bit? Just I live in Seattle, but I will give I will give you my FedEx account number if you will send something to both me and Shade <laughs> and Michael. I'm not gonna leave Michael out of this. <laughs> so okay. Wait, Michael, why don't you why don't you eat in the morning? Is it like intermittent fasting? Uh it <laughs> Uh, now that there's a name for it, but uh, uh, musicians, uh, I'm just old school. I just, I, I've just eliminated eating so late at night. So usually, if I'm doing my regular thing, I'm gigging and whatnot. Uh, my my work day doesn't end until one o'clock in the morning or whatever. Yeah. So the bad thing that I've done all my life is leaving the gig. Pull into the Super America or whatever, you know, eat, do, you know, do whatever, you know, just eat, go to bed full. You'll wake up in the morning, you're not hungry. And, you know, musicians that I know generally don't get hungry until one or two in the afternoon. Yeah. So we just don't, I just don't eat in the morning. If I'm busy, I don't think about it. Yeah. Until like it's, until it's going, hey, listen, man. And then, by that point, then, you know, I'm just, I'm, and just, I've been taking advantage of the, uh, the uh, shelter in place and whatnot and trying to change some ways that I, I need to. It's so. funny. I was thinking the other day about how one of the things that being a musician has taught me is I'm so used to room temperature food because if you order food at the gig, or everything closes by the time the gig is over. So if somebody makes you food or even, you know, so un unless you come home after the gig and either make or reheat your own food, you're eating cold food. My That's wife good. is thinking like, how, how can you eat that without heating it up? I'm just so used to it. Some, somebody posted that like a big part of him being a musician is cold chicken wings. <laughs> oh boy! I mean, am I lying or am I lying? You're not lying, man. That, that's probably what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. My wife has a pizza in the oven. But her and Nico will probably eat that. I'm like, I don't cold pizza. That that cheese turns into glue. Yes. Uh, you know, so yeah. I'll probably order like some wings and a and a salad from uh from Pizza Luce or somewhere. Uh, you know, around eight thirty, and it'll probably get here. You know. Well, now that you got a black, 
now that you got a black owned place near you, um, yeah, I where you're going to go with that. You're going to make me, I don't want to denigrate my people all over the world on, on, in cyberspace. <laughs> just, just let it, let it suffice that there is a place and we try, we try to work with them. Lord Jesus. We try to work with them. They don't, you know, they, everybody, there's a learning curve for everybody. I don't begrudge them that, but they keep kind of different hours and you can only get certain things at certain times. And, you know, once we get right, then I'll go ahead and endorse them right here on the show. Okay. I, you know, they, well, they want to see how things flesh out. Actually, uh, some of my stepdaughter's friends posted on social media that they went to this particular place. It was either yesterday or today. And they they said the food was really outstanding. And uh, as a matter of fact, they, they tipped the place $50. And, um, okay. Wow. And, the and the owners of your money? No, that it wasn't mine. Not mine. Okay, uh, but um, but the owners, I guess, got on social media and were saying today was a, was a was a blessing. It was a blessed day for them. Mm-hmm. They've only been open a few months, and they're trying to, you know, it, you got you just got to jump in and and fight for it. So I, I, you know, that's actually a really good point that ties like when we talk about um, social movements, like. I'm like, okay, we're talking about defunding police just generally. And they'll be like, oh, you know, if you're going to defund police, what are you going to do? And it's like, you have to give the new establishment time to work out the kinks and yada, yada. Like policing's had a century or more. You know what I mean? Like we should probably oh. allow people to have a chance. <laughs> so before, before she goes there, let's introduce, let's, let's start the formal discussion because I see she's already ready. And this is why I've been so excited about this week. Um, so first of all, my co-host, ladies and gentlemen, so even before I started doing the show, before we started doing the show, I would get, you know, people that would come up to me, oh, you're friends with Michael Bland? You know, uh, what's he like? And a lot, to a lot of musicians, and especially drummers, Michael Bland is a lot of people's hero. And they say, don't meet your heroes, because they'll disappoint you. How many of them lied on me? Well, that's another, we'll do the whole show on that. Ooh. But, um, you know, the truth of the matter is that if you're, if you're a musician, or you care about the same issues that we care about, or you're just a good person, and therefore your his, your hero is Michael Bland. The only way he can disappoint is you expect if you expect him to be soft spoken, bad at drums, or skinny. Otherwise, <laughs> Michael Bland lives up to the hype. Ladies and gentlemen, my co-host, Mr. Michael Bland, and the gentleman on my far right, hailed from Madison, Wisconsin. COVID-19 survivor, Holy Ghost organ player, not scared of black folks, half dead, all the way live, Dan Spiffy Newman. Thank you. All right. Um, Like I said, I've been very excited about this week uh, because um, I'm just really uh, can't wait to hear the discussions we're going to have with our guest. She's already, I guess I don't really need to say much because she already started going there, um, but she is a lawyer. She is an advocate. She is a, um, she is a defense attorney. Um, she has, has, I think, multiple nonprofits or both of the websites that I put up. One is your law firm and one is your nonprofit. So the, one of the websites is the law firm. The other is in like offshoot of the firm. It's not an established entity. It's like a campaign we're doing. Gotcha. Um, but I get tired just looking at everything she's doing 
for her community and the world at large. Um, and she's brilliant and she uh, is very well schooled and can back up everything that she's saying and doing. Uh, and I, I can't wait to get into this discussion. Miss um, Shade Smith, Esquire. Okay, well, yeah. uh, did you want to pick up where you left out talking about uh, upstarts and uh, defunding the police and whatnot? You know, I will, I will. Um, well, do you want to start where you were? I, I'm fine. I mean, we can continue there or we can move on. I mean, there's a, I got a lot on my mind and I know that you don't, you, uh, my, my feeling is that you are, are a person who is not uncomfortable with the spotlight, I don't think. But I think you are, you, you're like me. You like to observe and you probably will pick your lane and you'll get in there and you'll, you'll speak when you think you want, have something to say. I don't, I'm not sensitive from you that you want to dominate the the the, uh, the discussion, but I'm, I'm I mean, but we have you. We asked you to come on for for good reason. Um, uh, yeah. Yes. So please. Um, it sounded like you were headed somewhere. You were saying transition time is necessary. Yes, Wait. transition time. So if we're talking about um, dismantling what we currently have, which we know doesn't work, after um, you know whether it be from 1776 till now, from 1619 till now, everything that's happening between is not working for community at large. So we have to give time for new, um, new ways of operating to settle in and actually begin to be successful. I think what always happens in civil rights movements, like, oh, we, you know, we tried this thing, like we opened this new black school and then they weren't successful in this. I was like, well, you gave them a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're going to have to talk about combating all of those uh, prior systemic issues and um, oppressive just incidents that happened and you have to bring it to an equitable position first and then give people time to move forward and build on that. So our current establishment has had centuries. It's not working. Specifically, we're talking about defund the police. It's like, people like well, who's going to be in place of the police? Imagine a situation where prior to colonization, you did not have an overseer or some, you know, governmental big brother authority telling you how to interact with people. Um, because that was true and there were equitable societies, we can return to something more simple, like um, something that is looking like that more. So it's it takes time and patience with people to get established. Yeah, you're not going to unravel <laughs> centuries of white supremacy nope. in, <laughs> in a couple of years. It's going to take a concerted effort. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I, every week I end up bringing up the Montgomery bus boycott. 381 days yeah. to get that. And that, that was a major accomplishment. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I worry for the, the future of my people because we live in a time where nobody's patient. Everybody wants everything right now. And if they don't get it, they lose interest or they, you know, I mean, I don't know how much of an effect the news cycle really has on things, but um, a huge effect. indirect. A, a huge effect. Oh, huge effect. I mean, like, yeah, like media coverage. I mean, I think what's interesting about this current iteration of the civil rights movement is like, I think there's a need to be impatient because it's always like sit and wait your turn. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, we're not going to sit and wait your turn if people are dying. <laughs> like, we don't have time for that. Like, if your family is in a cage, how long do you want to wait for them to be free? Like, that's what the narrative should be. And so, um, oh, impatience. impatience, what you're seeing is like a new youth movement, a youth led movement where people are, they're not like as invested in capitalism, right? They don't have the house and you know blah 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 they can't get jobs because everything's ruined so 
they're sitting there like, this is not going to work for us. And there is an impatience and there is an urgency. And that urgency is so invigorating for what could be in our lifetimes. You know, like right now, I, I keep thinking about how many black women sat and were like dreaming of something bigger. Right. But like never even got the opportunity to see it start happening. And then to be able to be like, okay, this is something that I've like an area that I've worked in, but then be like, Whoa, we're talking about like Seattle police department just got defunded by 50%. And hmm. I mean, like that's it's like, what if, like I was in court before COVID, that's like not a discussion that was ever had. They had all the money, all the power. And it's something that's happening in real time because people were fed up and are not gonna do the whole, you know, sit and wait your turn kind of thing. Speaking of the news cycle, what's going on in Seattle? They don't want to tell us nothing. Really? See, that's interesting. Yeah, you're saying that too. That Yeah. I mean, I so how many episodes ago, somebody asked us while we were on the air, they asked us about what was happening in Seattle. And we had no idea. Our guest, Tiffany, uh, knew a little bit, um, but it's not something that's been, and I, you know, I read the, the, all the major news sources. I ask Alexa to read my news briefing from NPR and from whatever else every morning. It's never once been mentioned that I have seen. Interesting. Um, I did want, just to, like, Michael, what you're saying was great in the sense of, like, it's going to be longevity. You have to keep doing the marathon. So, yes, but it's, like, urgency too. So I just wanted to give space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you almost made me cry because it, 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 my inner voice keeps saying, how long do we have to wait? Yeah. That's just, that's my mantra every day. Like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. How long is it supposed to take? And um, somebody put a, 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 somebody put a quote, a comment on my Facebook page weeks ago that said, you can't tell a people how to protest their own genocide. <laughs> you know, it's, and just when you sit with that for a hot minute yeah. and, and really face the reality of, 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 of what we're dealing with, it's, um, it's really emotionally overwhel- overwhelming to me. I couldn't, be- I could believe, but I didn't want to believe what I was saying when, uh, that white officer had his neck, uh, had his knee on George Floyd's neck like that. I'm like, I thought for sure he was going to let up at some point. But to keep your knee on his neck in the street until, <laughs> until the ambulance showed up. And then even after, I heard the, the, the paramedic had to say, take your knee off of his neck. Like, what kind of darkness? It's interesting because with police violence, it is so common. And what this movement has brought to light is like that it doesn't have, it doesn't care who it takes out, right? Like you're seeing stuff from the protests and people are just getting snatched up off the street. They're writing false reports. Like that's why we jumped on the protest because I mean, specifically for SPD, they're literally writing false reports and arresting people like, oh, assaults on an officer. And it's like, there's a whole video because everybody's cammed up, right? Like nobody was assault. Like you didn't get assaulted. They just make it up. They arrest you and throw you in a cage for a couple of days. And then it's like, okay, you may be able to get out because the prosecutors are just, you know, just uh, dismissing a bunch of the cases. But we have to recognize that when your state funded police department, you're supposed to serve and protect, you're coming out super militarized, snatching off the street and throwing you in a cage. That has an intimidating effect on people. People are like, oh, I don't want to go protest because it's terrifying. Who knows what they're going to do? And then they trump up charges. Like that's the power of them. That's why it's so totalitarian. It's like, 
what they can do is terrorize people into not being in the streets. And that's what's happening. They're shutting people down. And so the impact on the First Amendment is really interesting because, again, before I'd be like, police brutality. And people like, no, cops don't do that. Like, we trust cops. And it's like, okay, there's videos everywhere and it's happening nationally. And so it's like, it's been happening for decades and decades. Um, and so it's really a situation where it's like, they do this and it may not result in charges, but they're having a huge impact on people. People are traumatized from it. Yeah, um, I was gonna say, let me add that I had uh, some inside information about about um, how they were gonna try to roll this out to the press. Um, a, a friend of a friend who uh, got the video that the, the young woman sent, uh, the young woman, uh, the main footage that everybody mm -hmm. She inboxed it into a friend of hers who's uh, associated with the Black Lives Movement and um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And so she already knew that there was an incident that happened. And um, she called the police department and said, what happened over on, I can't remember the cross streets. And they, and they said, <laughs> Oh, nothing really. Apparently what they said was um, uh, the police picked up a guy, you know, and um, they, in, in the process of trying to, uh, uh, what do they call it? Basically. Uh, arrest. Uh, huh? Sorry? Arrest. Sorry. Just yeah. Arrest. In, the, in the process of the arrest, there was a medical incident. That's how they were going to try to roll it out. And so she got on the good foot. And got that video out, and they had to they 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 actually framed it that way at about six o'clock at the six on the six o'clock news six a.m. Mm -hmm. But by by eight thirty nine o'clock, the 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 jig was up. Mm -hmm. So that right there illustrated to me they can say whatever they want. How long have what they been they doing this? Exactly. Frame it however however they choose, and we would be none the wiser, and uh, uh, you know. If, and that's what oh. yeah no if everybody didn't have video capabilities constantly it's without without the without the video <laughs> we got nothing and yeah. even with the video yeah i mean it's interesting because it's like how many times has this happened previously you know and then nobody's nobody's believed anybody and it's like with racism it's one of those things where it's like you have to have like unquestioning evidence of it or people just gaslight you like this country gaslights us about everything it's like we're like no this is racist and like i don't think you know what racism is blah blah blah, blah. it's like no like you don't get to define what our oppression looks like like we're quite familiar and you know identify and that's the problem it's like when the oppressor controls the narrative right then they can oh. control what kind of information and then the fact that courts still take cop affidavits after always seeing just after the protests or just generally knowing like the statistics behind the amount of lies that happen generally. Um, the fact that they just like, okay, well, this is a sworn statement from an officer. It's like, is that supposed to mean something? And you know what I mean? Like, why are we just assuming that it's accurate enough to impact somebody's liberty and throw them in a cage? Like we have to really, like at the end of the day, the thing that we are supposed to protect the most is freedom. And cops are just saying whatever and people are getting thrown in the cage, they're intimidating. Judges are just signing off, prosecutors are just signing off. So it's not just cops. It is a system that protects them and a system that insulates them. That's why none of the cops are prosecuted for the clear brutality that they're, you know, they, in um, Seattle, a woman got shot with tear gas container. What was it a flash bomb? And she like, her heart stopped. She died. And like, she was able to be resuscitated, but it's like, they're out there just like, you know, they shot another 
woman, Nikita Tarver, with a rubber bullet in the eye. And like, had oh, it been, yeah, it would have killed her. And it's like, she was just walking. And she was in a group of white folks. She's the only one who got sniped, you know, with, like, what are we talking about? And they're just coming out with tanks and those huge SWAT vehicles. When I was at a Black Lives Matter protest um, after Mike Brown and Trayvon Martin, it was, my job was a public defender at the time. And so I'm, you know, downtown Seattle, I see like all these unmarked vehicles come popping up and I'm like, what's going on? Okay. And then I, I see the cops jump out of them. I'm like, I'm looking in the vans and I'm like, they're just in there with like assault weapons, like sneaking up on people, not like clearly marked and they jump out and then they have those like, you know, the right gear and everything. And they're intentionally making contact with the crowd. And it's like, you know, people are chanting, like, why you got that right here? I don't see no right here. I went to the women's march in 2016. Oh, cops are having out hot cocoa and yada, yada, and just really helpful and supportive. And I'm like, like I'm like, whoa, nobody's going to point out this clear disparity, but the community who's unarmed is violent, right? So it's just, you show up to something with a with riot gear and a sniper, then like, you're not trying to be, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you, you got me with uh, the oppressor controls the narrative. That, we could say that about so many things. Well, that's a blanket statement. Uh, I wanted to say that I don't understand why, if you got a gun and a badge, and and uh, the leverage to you know w within you know the fact that they can always say I felt threatened, mm -hmm. like the fact that you got a get out of jail card a gun and a badge, you would think that um, how do I explain exactly? You would think that the, the burden of like control and uh, assessment of a situation would like it, number one, if you're afraid and you're a cop, I understand that you're afraid but you can't, like in any job where it's a matter of life and death, you can't let your nerves get to you. Well, and, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Policing is not dangerous, like at all. Like the stats, there are so many other jobs, like bartending, there's a whole list. Being a garbage um, person. Um, yeah, really, policing is not dangerous. Cops don't die. Um, cops don't even get assaulted. Um, I was looking at the stats for Seattle, and it was like, they had stats all the way back from when a, a, a dog had died. It was pre-emancipation. That's how few cops die. Like cops don't die. And I think what happens is we get scenario that they get to control how they're viewed, right? They're going in there and like we have all these shows and they're going in there and saving the day. It's like they don't stop crime because they show up after the fact. They don't solve violent crime. All they're there to do is protect uh, property. And like you can see that in the history of policing, um, you know, police, police started as uh, higher guns right, for rich people to protect property. And it wasn't until later Rich people, yeah, rich people were like, you know, this is going to be for the public good. And then all of a sudden, everybody's taxes were paying for it. It used to be something that they had to take control of. It's very politicized. Policing has always been. And um, it's also important to note it's, and I think a lot of people know this already, but it's really uh, close association with like tracking down enslaved Africans who are escaping to freedom. Like that has been, that is the basis of policing in this country. So it's like, I want to but. But I mean, it's like, it's so, when you say that, um, you can say like oppressors control the narrative so many times. It's like, it is, it's the same oppressive regime doing the same thing over and over just to different groups. Like we talk about patriarchy does the same thing, right? It's control power situation. And it's funny because people act like cops can't be anything else but cops. It's like, no, you can have another job. You don't have to be a cop. Like if you're fidgety, 
you can't work around a gun. If you are scared of black people, you can't work around a gun. You need to go get a goddamn desk job. You know, what are we talking about? Um, but it's also a situation where I don't necessarily, I used to think like, oh man, people are afraid of black people. And it's like, it's important to note the power and control dynamic that's associated with policing. Um, this, sorry, let me, keep here. let me figure out my life. The, uh, the Stanford prison experiment. Have you guys heard of that? I don't think so. It sounds vaguely familiar, but. Stanford, Stanford prison experiment? Yes, yes. No. So um, I'll, send, I'll send you guys a link, but it basically this um, professor of psychology did an experiment. Like we're gonna take volunteers from the community and I believe they're students as well. Um, a half will be set up as guards, half will be set up as quote unquote inmates. And it was, they go, they got to go home at the end of the day, but the people who were considered inmates had numbers, right? Like, you know, inmate number 606, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, what you saw is that even when they were just doing this for play and it was their day job, the same abusive dynamics arose. And so this is not an issue of, oh my gosh, we need to, we need to like, you know, these particular cops are bad. It is literally the system in which they operate. If you have a power and control dynamic like that, you are going to get abused. People, there's a lot of things that play into it, but we're also talking about the society we're brought up in, right? Like we have, we have patriarchy, white supremacy, and there's, when they come together and we have capitalism, which is literally the exploitation of people so you can make money, right? And so it's like, when you put those together and then you give somebody power of another person, it's going to be exploitation, it's going to be harm and abuse. So that's why it's like, oh, you know, it's just a few bad apples. Like, no, your whole system is abusive. People are going to, you know, hurt people. People are gonna kill people. And that's just the way it is. Um, it, whether or not they're volunteers who attend Stanford to, you know, your average Joe in the street, like people are gonna die and they're gonna to continue to die until we address the uh, power dynamic. And there's also the Milgram experiment, which is like, I don't know, I'll stop ranting, go ahead. No, 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 please, continue. Okay. So um, Stanley Milgram did an experiment and it was, you know, cause everybody thinks about like the Holocaust, right? It's like Nazis, or the Nazis were crazy and extreme. And he was like, he was testing that hypothesis. Like, what is it about the Nazis that makes you extreme? So it is, um, the testing was essentially one person be as the authority figure, Sorry, this is <laughs> in the middle of the screen. One person being in the authority figure and then the other person being uh, taking directions or instructions. And what they had to do was like, then there was a third person who was, I'll say the quote unquote victim, but they were away. It was like, okay, the authority figure was saying, hey, push the button and then electrocute them. And people are like, okay, well, you know, they'd have some, maybe some qualms about it, but like depending on how close the authority figure was, people pushed the button and this is all over the world. It was like Germany had a higher rate of doing it, but only slightly. So it's not like Nazi Germany wasn't different than any other place. It's like, there's, it's a human condition of being impacted by authority. And if you're like, even if you're like, man, this could hurt somebody, they're still pushing the button enough to kill people. Mind you, the person wasn't actually getting electrocuted. But like, again, that tells you, we probably shouldn't like, if we demonize this group and say, uh, you're doing that because you're a horrible person, then you don't see yourself in that group. And you are like, you get caught up, right? You're like, oh, you don't, you think that you're immune from it, all of a sudden you're doing the same type of terror and trauma. So, anyways. Oh, sorry. No, no, sorry. All the time that racism is beyond intent. It's beyond whether or not you like or don't like somebody. It's, 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 and it's in every crack and crevice in this country. You, you're born into it like the Matrix. It's, yeah. it's, and, and you are not exempt 
No matter how much you, uh, oh, I, I'm not racist. I, yeah, you're racist. You may be racist in, in uh, unconscious or subconscious ways, but you can't be in this country not be racist. But I, I have to check myself about my own people sometimes. So don't yeah. tell me. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I'm not racist. I, I, I like, it's not about what you like. It, it's, it's so, it goes so much deeper than that. And people, now they're trying to, de de they're trying to, uh, make fraudulent the idea of systemic racism. And, and now that's on the attack, and that—that's how. <laughs> Been on the attack ever since there was a name for it. Well, <laughs> yeah, but now that Donald Trump and you know, I didn't mean to bring his name up, but <laughs> is he like Voldemort? He or or uh, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he, his the, name? the one who 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 shall not be named. Yeah, I'm. I, mm -mm. And I, you know, I, I'm 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 sincere, and I'm 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 real about like following the steps of, of of my savior. And I know I'm supposed to love everybody, but I'm also supposed to <laughs> I'm also supposed to stay observant and believe what I see. You're supposed to stay alive and be free too. Yeah. So it's like, I, I you know. from over there. Some people you yeah. gotta love them, you know. I was saying um, racism and sexism and classism, all those things, again, are so entrenched in our society, socialization, media, that like you just, it's like addiction. You have to, assume, like if you're an addict, you don't like immediately get cured or ever, right? You just are in that constant state and you have to be vigilant about addressing that. So it's like, just assume that we all have, whether it be internalized or not, whether we're in part of that, you know, uh, marginalized community or not. Just assume you have it, and you have to be active in that's addressing right. it, and that's how you, you got it. it. You have it. You just don't know it yet. And until yep. you're educated about it, you're a racist. Yep. Until you are in, in, re in, or unindoctrinated and reindoctrinated, until you until you have that point in your consciousness where you realize that. Uh, well. Until you, it, it, that point comes for. I wonder if that point comes. Maybe it comes for everybody, but some people ignore it. I don't know. There's also like the other psychological concept of cognitive dissonance. Like when you are so ingrained, like something a behavior is happening, right? Like mm -hmm. you keep doing something, it is easier to change your belief about that behavior than it is to change that behavior. It's a habit. And so it's like oh, they're yeah. like, oh, I can't come to terms with the fact that United States, like throughout my entire life, they've everything about history has been a lie and it's been oppressive and it's like built on slavery. I'm not going to deal with that. That's a lot. It hurts my feelings. You know, I can't. It's like the inconsistency is like, no, it breaks your head. So then you're like, I'm going to believe the alternative. And like people are in the situation because they deserve it. Like if they just behaved well, if they just did what they're supposed to, they wouldn't be there. And they're just being ridiculous and we can't trust them. By any the narrative. I've seen studies that say sometimes the more you try to educate a person on a subject, the further they go and they get further entrenched in their psychosis. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry, I didn't mean to make you make that sound. Uh, oh, no, this is a constant state of, oh, Lord. <laughs> like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, Lord, Jesus, come now. Yeah, yeah. that's me every day. Come yeah. on, in, Jesus. <laughs> so, I don't think we ever actually answered the question of what's happening in Seattle right now. Well, we definitely didn't. I'm not I wrote it down though. Force feed, Sade, 
anywhere she doesn't care to go. I'm willing to go with the with the flow. I agree, you know, which is I only brought it up because there seemed to be a pause in the conversation. conversation. We and we have good reason to be feel ridiculed once again. Black uh -huh. excellence has just been stepping all over us since we started this show. That's true. So you yeah. let her talk about what she wants to talk about. Well, it's hard to talk about the Seattle situation without like the context and sure. It's like having a conversation without anybody like knowing what you know the basis of anything. So well, it's colloquial in some ways. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, even the conversation around policing too and like the racial issues. Um, Seattle is one of those. We're so liberal. But like we're still really racist, and our numbers are consistent with all the other racist places. But we're not going to acknowledge that because again, it hurts our feelings, and don't call us racist. Oh boy. And so yeah, and like it also has Seattle has a lot of money, just not for the people who actually are from here. Like, and the gentrification is insane. Like, there's just so many. I shouldn't say I shouldn't say that word. Sorry, that's a diminutive to that community. So I'm going to go away from that. Seattle is a very interesting. Um, problematic place. And that's because people who identify as liberal will take up space and spout things like compromise and yada, yada. When it's like, when you ask us to compromise, what you're saying is like, let more black people die. So everybody else can be comfortable, not really wanting to compromise, but they don't want to push that boundary because it hurts people's feelings, you know? Um, but yes, CHOP, <laughs> CHOP is, CHOP is currently no more, but the movement of CHOP is still alive and well. Well, can you can you explain what CHOP is for? Yeah. Um, or what was, rather. Yeah. Uh, it was, well, it stood for Capitol Hill Occupied Protest. Before that, it was CHAZ, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Basically, what happened was, did you guys see any of the videos from the East Precinct at all where, like, the cops were just being? I, I don't, you know, them? I saw something on the news, but I'm, I can't be certain. Yeah. There's, there's, it's going crazy everywhere, so I don't know. It, lately, it's been more in my own backyard than anywhere. So, I mean, that's good, but also, uh, yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. Minneapolis. I mean, you're also talking about a lot of limousine liberals in Minneapolis, Minnesota. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of people who try to throw money at problems and expect that to be the end of their work. But mm -hmm. you know, everything about this civil rights movement now, the one that we're in at this point in time, says it's going to take everybody. Mm -hmm. It's going to take woke white folks to wake white folks yeah. because that, clearly they haven't been listening to us. Yeah. And we don't have the energy for it. It's like, we can't do it. I've heard that more, more people, right? Uh, listen, I'm tired of trying to teach white people how to be civil. Why yeah. can't you just look at George Floyd lying, lying in the street and say, would you want that to happen to one of your loved ones? Yeah. You know, also, it's not a racial issue, it's a human rights issue. Essentially, but in a colloquial sense, it's about us. Yeah. And also, we're the, we're the target. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, chop. Move. Basically, what happened at the East Precinct um, with the George Floyd protests was um, cops came, they showed up, and they were, you know, just head to toe, decked out in all their military garb and they just acted all the way up. They were brutalizing people. Um, a bunch of electeds were actually, local politicians were actually in the crowd and they were calling the mayor and the chief police like, tell them to stand down. Like they had um, snipers with, you know, the rubber bullets on roofs. They had the, you know, SWAT gear. They were tear gassing people. They tear gassed um, a small a young child, seven years old. 
And then one of our clients actually got it on video and then SPD tracked that person down and uh, charged, tried to write them up on um, unlawful use of a laser, uh, a class C felony after the fact. So then, you know, they got released and that situation was dismissed, but it's important to note that SPD is using its resources or police officers using their resources to track people down who, you know, put up viral videos as opposed to addressing the clearly racial issues that are happening. Um, they tear gassed a woman who was in a wheelchair, um, an elderly woman in a wheelchair who was at the marches too. It's, so what happened was the experience in CHOP or at these precincts went national and then the cops just left. They just abandoned. And what happened was they actually put up barricades to keep people from driving through the cops did. And then they left those barricades. And so then community filled. Mind you, Seattle has a very large um, unhoused population. So what you have is people, and then the mayor had been allowing for sweeps to happen where they would just go in, destabilize people further, destroy all their property. And then um, they would destroy all their property and then people would have to keep shifting, right? It's like most, anybody who does social sciences knows like if you want people to get out of whatever situation, they have to have stability, right? Like if you like, oh, go to drug treatment. It's like, if you don't have a house, you're gonna be worried about where you're gonna put your head and how you're gonna get food as opposed to the treatment. So Colorado does the housing first model, other places do it too. Um, Seattle does not, what they do is, you know, terrorize unhoused people. So people filled in in those gaps. And then a bunch of community organizations filled in and CHOP uh, put up just different booths so that people can have resources, free food, free access to medical care. There was, um, you know, medical professions out there providing support. And like then they would, they would have community events, you know, people speaking and all those things. Um, and then as time went on, obviously people can't stay there as long. Then... Uh, the mayor and the chief of police were like, we can't, we can't do CHOP anymore. And mind you, this is specifically after they marched to the mayor's $4.3 million home and she was not cool with that. So that's when you got them coming in and taking down CHOP. But then there's a whole rant about how they did that. So I see. Did you guys know about that? No. Okay. Does not. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's so strange. I guess it's not strange really when you think about it, but like, so much of what's going on with these protests does not make the national news. Uh, like, for example, just just as a an aside, as a for example, did you hear about the sex trafficking house that was burned in Milwaukee? No. So it's. I mean, it's just it's. They're they're not sharing on these things outside of the area that they're happening in. Uh, with the exception sometimes of Minneapolis, and even then it's only sharing certain things that, you know, continue a certain narrative. Mm -hmm. Yep. I will add the thing that was so dope about CHOP, and people even in the community have mixed feelings about it, um, but CHOP was community taking care of community, and it wasn't based on capitalism. It wasn't based on, again, that big brother authoritarian, like, cops having the precinct and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, so what that was showing is a different way to exist where people could get their needs met by other communities, within their own community and not need anything. And that was a really big threat to establishment anywhere, especially in Seattle. And so it's just, it was a really dope thing to see because like, if we talk about what we want a society to look like after this, right? A better version of society. It has to be community oriented, people taking care of each other and like big decisions being made within community. Because what we have a situation where people don't know us are coming in like, Cops in your neighborhoods is an occupation. Like that is not, they're not your friends. They don't, they're not amongst you. They don't know you. There's no like developing any rapport. They just come and respond to violence if they think. But again, 
oh, in SPD, it was like 1% of the calls were for violence. Most of it was property stuff or other things like it. So cops aren't out there just saving the day. Like it's really just about property crime and it's about white folks' property. So, yeah. And I will add that as a white folk who has been the victim of some property crimes, they were never any help to me. Not mm -hmm. once. Like I, I, I don't understand why the only reason I would call them now would be if I needed to file a police report and I couldn't do that over the, you know, over the internet. There's just, it, it, they don't seem to serve any practical purpose when it comes to the things that they're supposed to be doing. And they have in Seattle, some have $300,000 salaries, $100,000 salaries, easy. And then they, all the overtime when <laughs> Durkin, which is the mayor, it was like, okay, overtime for like, you know, policing chop when they responded with just to the initial protest, $6.3 million was spent. Mind you, we have a bunch of like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. People don't have jobs. People aren't getting their unemployment. People are starving and dying and we can't even fund schools in Washington. $6.3 million went to cop overtime for a protest that there was no violence until the cops got there. Yeah. So... Go ahead, Michael. It seemed like you were going to say something. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Okay. You know I want to get to Brianna oh, Taylor. Sorry. Um, sorry, I have one more thing to add about Trump. Go, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, Shade. Okay. So they use the excuse of, like, violence and chop to tear it down. And I saw this in the comment by Sarah Hayashi. Thank you for the reminder, Sarah. Um, they were like, oh, you know, there's violence and chop. And there were some shootings that happened at chop. And that there were definitely shootings. But if you look, I pulled up the statistics. I shouldn't laugh. But... Crime in Seattle is way lower now than it was in 2018, 2019. So there literally was no, there was not more violence happening in CHOP than was happening on Capitol Hill prior to that. And again, they use the excuse of COVID, like people not following the governor's orders. Well, it's like, okay, so what happened was the mayor dropped the executive order at 2 a.m. when everybody at CHOP was sleeping. Then at 5 a.m., the cops invaded. And so again, people are sleeping. They're like, get out of the way. There's an order you need to leave. So they're running up on people, scaring community. And there's something in this country called due process, where like, if you're going to be, you know, trespassing people from a public place, you have to provide sufficient notice. And public means owned by the community. It's not cop property. It's not mayor property. It is literally owned by the people who were sleeping there. And so they got pushed out. And so without notice, and then all of the community resources that have been saved up were destroyed. They threw up and they slashed people's tents. People were just taken into custody without just nonsensical charges. And so, and then they did it with violence, but they used COVID as an excuse, but then they threw people in the back of cop vans without masks. And, and it's like, you can kill people and they just didn't care. It was, I'll stop. It's just so many lawsuits are coming. Bless it. They're actually recalling mayor, the mayor. That's not me. So just, so, you're when you say so many lawsuits are coming, you're talking about suing the police department. Yeah, people are. I think people are going to sue the city and the police department. Um, I mean, you know, Seattle cops do a lot of harm. King County, just generally, there's a lot of violence on people. There's so many killings, like Sean Fur, Manny Ellis, um, just some of the recent ones. Uh, Charlene Lyles was a young mother. Who was pregnant and she got executed in her home she called the cops for her help with mental health and she got murdered by the cops in front of her children 
Um, and then uh, John T. Williams, Yosai Falatoga was executed. Um, he was shot in the back of the head on video. And that was New Year's Eve 2018, about to be 2019. And we went to the uh, we went to the governor's office when I was working with NAACP uh, as a when I was with the NAACP. We went there and we're like, hey, can we like get something like independent insight, like oversight for the cops, like because it's like police agencies, SPD will do an investigation on SPD if they kill somebody. It's like you can't do that. That's called a conflict of interest, and everybody recognizes that. Mm-hmm. But it was you know it was not something that they cared enough about, and they didn't want to challenge the King County prosecutor. But then it's like they're like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, it's not politically viable. It's like but our deaths aren't politically viable. You know what I mean? Like, um, Yosai Falatoga was a, a part of the API community. Um, and there was just, it was a movement. There's just, and then the native community with John T. Williams, like everybody who's BIPOC is getting targeted. And it's just like, it's really upsetting. So just about the civil suits, is that something that you're gonna be working on? Are you able to represent people in civil cases or? Technically I can. Um, most of my practice has been criminal. We are picking up some civil things. Um, there's, there are just so many moving parts, it's hard to say. We have a chunk of the protesters right now on the criminal cases and we're seeing what the options are. Do you think, um, so in, in a theoretical civil case, uh, what, what happens? I mean, is there any, uh, is there any, what, what are the chances of a verdict that actually makes an impact monetarily? I mean, I think it should be noted that the law is not the way to expect some type of justice at all. Like I, what I realized in law school, I was actually giving me anxiety. Like I was like really stressed. We were going through like, this is the case law and how it developed. And I was like, this has no legitimacy whatsoever. This is all some bullshit. Like, this is just like what these people decide at the time. And so it's like, that's why it's so important to like what judges you pick. If the law was objective, it wouldn't matter who was in the damn seat. It would be consistent. It's not. So um, it's like these, these judges, Tell a, it. Lot of them, a lot of them have been in that position or they get that position. They've been around white people their entire lives. They know nothing about BIPOC communities. They know nothing about um, anything that is not saturated in white supremacy. And so like when you go to court, it's this bizarre situation because you're expecting them to have an idea, like, oh, you know, I'm talking about implicit bias or yada, yada, yada. And they're just clueless. And it's like, oh, I I remember when it dawned on me, I was like, they don't know anything about this. And so if I talk to like younger people, like people coming out of law school, I'm like, look, you are the subject matter expert. The things that you are learning are things that are newer to the people on the bench. So don't defer to them because they don't know what they're talking about. And that's like something, you know, that's hard to hear for people. It's like, what? Because like you, it's kind of this reaction to like, oh, trust what the judge says. No, no, <laughs> good God don't challenge at every single, like every single step because they're going to be, their interest is processing people, right? Like, okay, this is the standard, this is the rule, yada, yada, yada. We're gonna keep that going. And it's like, that's how mass incarceration is skyrocketed. So again, the legal system's not gonna save you. So I know that the, there have been civil rights cases that have been successful. Um, the amount of time and energy and life it's sucked out of people to get there, so I'm just like, that's why it's like a whole system issue. It's like, you cannot reform this. This is like, it is rotten and it's okay to say that. Like, you're not gonna make it better by doing something internally. Like it has to come down. You're like, oh, you know, that's really radical. I'm like, look, I'm not, yeah. like, it's just, it's reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes reality is radical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got a new catchphrase. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, wow. You. I, I had never thought about um, 
I never really focused on that. You were so right about it, it shouldn't matter who's sitting in, in that seat in court. If the law is really, you know, if everything is going the way it's supposed to go, there's a reason they change up. Yeah. Huh? I mean, the law would be like, what judge you get matters. But it does. Um, oh, man, it was, never mind. I'll come back to it. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, okay. There you go. Sorry. I go ahead, Dan. Go ahead. Sorry, Dan. Go ahead, Chad. <laughs> Um, the interesting thing is like, uh, in the law, like if somebody who is broke steals a sandwich and somebody who's not broke steals a sandwich, the same, it's like theft, right? There's no, like, there's no relativity. It's not like, oh, one person's trying to survive and the other person's just taking advantage, right? There's, there's none of that. And right. literally everything that ever works in this world, including like physics, theory of relativity, like everything is relative. And it's like, what the law does is like, it is without being like explicitly racist, like, oh, this is going to apply to blah, blah, blah. What it does is like, it takes your life circumstance out of the equation. And so it erases the experience of BIPOC everywhere, especially black people. It's like, okay, if you're in this situation because you were trying to survive, then we're not going to consider that. We're going to give you the same sentence or worse than people who are just doing it to be, you know, a problem. And so that's why the law, again, is so entrenched in white supremacy. It eliminates the human factor that is not settled or um, oriented around uh, white male property owners. Right. It doesn't eliminate it, but it does work in favor of the, those who are white. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'd say it eliminate, but go ahead. Really? It's not <laughs> just Eurocentric? No, no. I think it, it definitely is. It's completely like eliminates anything that is not centered around white male property owners. Okay. Like, as a matter of fact. I'm not trying to match wits. I, I know from whence you come. No, no. So <laughs> I'm. <laughs> White speaking, folks. speaking of white, white folks, folks yeah. what are we talking about white folks, man? I don't know. What are I we talking about? I, I, need, I need Tiffany here to you make a comment again, I guess. Um, anyhow, uh, um, <laughs> so I was going to mention before also in terms of the people that write the laws, um, but then also the conversation about judges uh, is, if, is, is a good way to segue into voter suppression if we were going to talk about that. And also, you br briefly mentioned Breonna Taylor, and then we didn't go there. Um, okay. but we I, will get there before, before the evening's up. I was going to say Chade is not ready to talk about it. Maybe it will arrive in the... I, I didn't mention Breonna Taylor. I said Charlita Lyles, but Breonna Taylor is definitely in that caveat. Oh my gosh. Dan's eyes are... Okay. What's going on? Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Was David I was, but I think she was looking at Charles' question, maybe? Could be. Oh. Is that what you were looking at? No, I was saying that the person I was talking about was Charlena Lyles. Charlena Lyles. Charlena Lyles, yes. She was the mother, the young mother who was killed. Um, oh, okay. Murdered, yes. Can um, I handle that by okay. uh, Would you mind answering Charles' question? No. <laughs> oh, well, hey. Sorry. No, no, sorry. I don't mind. Charles, I would say the answer is no. Um, because people are too dynamic for it to be binary. Um, we need to take more time. And again, we have to look where our legal system came from. This is actually a good point for a, a timeline. Can I do a timeline, guys? Yeah, please. Okay. So I, it's something that I think is important to know, and sorry if people already know this, um, as far as like the history of this country. So in 1619, first enslaved Africans arrive in the US as indentured servants. In 1662, the legal doctrine of partis was created, and that's birthright slavery, right? So first it was indentured servitude, and then it was like you're born into slavery. 
1671 was the first use of the word white to describe a person. So whiteness came after they figured out, like if you keep people and then keep their kids, they make money, right? So, and then 1676, there was Bacon's Rebellion where poor white folks and black folks got together, right? And like challenged the ruling class. And then in 1740, there was the criminalization and assembly um, education moving abroad for enslaved Africans. So we have, if we think about what happened, and this is also moves into this discussion about Thomas Jefferson. Um, Thomas Jefferson was pretty much an abolitionist until he started doing some math and he realized that if he, if you have a black child born into slavery, there's like a 4% return. You make money off that baby. Um, and so when he did that, all of a sudden he was backing off. He's like, oh, no, I'm not an abolitionist anymore. And interestingly enough, he inspired George Washington to, you know, for abolition, but kept everybody. Um, and so I have a really, the founding fathers thing nonsense offends me to the core because of how the just ridiculousness of the ideas, like no, nobody found anything. Like there were a hundred million people on this, on this continent, you know, uh, I mean, at least in the United States when they landed here as far as white folks landed here. But again, it was profit came and then they're like, okay, we're going to change the law to reflect that. So that's why the law cannot be binary. It's never been about fairness and objectivity. It's been about codifying white supremacy. Sure. So uh, yeah, uh, the intent was, was uh, skewed. Yeah. So if you if you if you predicate your law based on <laughs> a slip in your money, yeah, mm. capitalism, y'all, capitalism. Well, that's so, why you say you can never get a get a. So that's why the law is never going to be sufficient in bringing about justice because it wasn't meant to in the first place. So here's here's a question that I'd like you to answer if possible. I'm based on what you were just talking about. So you you brought up how in uh, the 1600s uh, there were some examples where you had essentially poor whites and enslaved blacks fighting the ruling class. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, you know, four centuries later, uh, poor whites are some of the biggest supporters of racist policy uh and can you talk a little bit about i know you're not you're a lawyer not a historian but clearly you're well versed in both can you talk a little bit about how things transitioned there well um anytime white ruling class wants to pit poor white folks or split poor white folks and black folks up they, what they do is they like oh you know black people are a threat to you like in wilmington uh in the massacre that happened there Wilmington had a democratically elected um, a number of black officials and I'm, I'm forgetting the year. It was right at the end of reconstruction. So 1870 something. Anyways, what happened was what the white ruling class was like, Hey, you know, white folks, poor white folks, black men are a threat to white women. And all of a sudden they were just totally okay. And then supremacists like in the, you know, all the white folks got together and just murdered all the black people in this house. Then mind you, this is Wilmington, right? A very wealthy place all that property there, like there was a whole newspaper, like the history behind it is so traumatic. But again, that's happened not just in Tulsa, but in Rosewood. Like there are so many places where black folks have established something and it's literally been wiped out by white rage. And then not only that, the history has been taken out of the history books. And so when I was going through school, I was like, I'm learning about all these white dudes doing all this stuff. You know, like, why didn't anybody who look like me do anything? It's like the whole damn time, people like me have been doing everything all the time. And it's like, sure. continue to do everything, rebuilding over and over again. And like, how does that impact your psyche, right? 
So when we talk about like um, the Southern strategy was like Democrats or sorry, Republicans being like, we're going to court the, you know, the South, like as far as the poor white class and what we're going to do is um, we're going to do with racism. And so, you know, things switched up and that was the way to do it. So you're seeing this right now with Trump. It's like the whole like, oh, you, you could be rich too. This is impacting rights. Like fam, you're never going to be rich. It's not going to happen for you. Let it go. Like, and it's like, these are the same, the funny thing is like the same lineage of people, like they're all the same people with money, like Chase Bank, all of them, they all made money off of black bodies. Um, this country's entire economy was made off of black bodies. Like it only became like went from colonies to something that could beat Europe or Great Britain because of what black people were able to do, whether it be building infrastructure. Most of the wealth in the South was from us as people. And what happened was when Lincoln was like an Emancipation Proclamation, it was below the Mason-Dixon line. It was people in the South, people in the North still had enslaved Africans and like New York had a bunch of slavery still well after that. Um, but it like Lincoln did that to undermine the South's economy, not because he cared about black folks. Like it's very clear. Lincoln was not, Harriet Tubman was like, I don't mess with him because he's not good for our people. Like she's like, he, he only cares about maintaining the union. So, sorry. Yeah. Uh, my, my good friend, Dave Perner likes to tell a joke that no, that, um, that white North Northerners never get. He's, I think the go, it, it goes kind of like, uh, um, what did uh, Abraham Lincoln say after a night of, uh, after a long night of drinking and and carousing with his friends and passing out? He said, "I freed who?" Exactly. Yeah. There's that point though. Mm -hmm. Seventeen. Okay, so black folks freed freed ourselves, and this is you guys like Haitian Revolution, 1791, 1804. So emancipation in the states happened 1865 and Britain was 1833. But like black folks freed themselves in Haiti, like turn of the century, 1791, 1804. So like that's where the wave of emancipation started. And then it took off around the world. But what we hear about Haiti is like, you know, they were paying a bunch of stuff and they, they were sanctioned and everything. And there was this whole movement to keep Haitian revolution from spreading throughout other places. But again, it wasn't like this generous benevolent white people who let black people like be free and Lincoln. <laughs> Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I, the, while you were speaking on this, I, I thought to myself um, a, a couple of things that um, <laughs> I, I, I think I read somewhere that the the last slaves, the, like the last indentured servant, only got free like in the fifties. I read something to that effect, and um. The last time I, I saw my mother, um, I went to visit her at, at where, where she where she's living at. She told me that my grandfather and his brothers were slaves. I had no conception, <laughs> no idea growing up knowing these people. One of his, one of my grandfather's, my uncle, my uncle John, was a uh, uh, he was my father's idol. He was he was. He was a uh, dark skinned and had a very prickly disposition. I can imagine why. Yeah, now I get it. You know, but he did he did uh, good deeds in private. He didn't he didn't want people to know what his heart was really like. But if he saw somebody suffering, you know, I think my dad said he had heard that um, uh, this young mother was trying to buy groceries for, for her children and she didn't have enough money. And my uncle John 
went into the store and bought the groceries for her and swore her. He said, if you tell anybody I did this, I, I'll, I'll, I'll swear up and down that you lied. <laughs> he did yeah. not want, all he had was his reputation. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, uh, I mean, he was just this incredibly genuine human being. And, uh, and my, and my grandfather, he's, you looking at him, he, uh, he survived whatever it is they tried to do to him because, but he was, you know, six foot six and, you know, uh, this uh, light skinned, handsome man who was always dressed to the nines. You would never know that he was ever, <laughs> he didn't look like no kind of slave to me. None of them did. But I just, I had no idea. I knew it was in my family. It would have to be. Yeah. I didn't know it was so close. I mean, that's the part of the narrative controlling, right? They made, like, slavery was so long ago. I was like, fam, no, it wasn't. Like, yeah. it was, uh, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump. And, like, my grandfather was born in 1910. Like, it right. was not long enough ago for anybody uh, to know right type of thing. Yeah, so, people like, like, to, like to get on. To get, yeah, they can keep moving with all with all that BS. Sick mm -hmm. of that. This whole idea of post-racial America. Well, you got a brother a black president. Now, what else do you want? Yeah, I will Everything. choke this person <laughs> saying that. Believe, yes. what to believe. Yes, yes. And not only that, can I get on Obama for a second? I know we got. I, I love him. I love. Uh, you don't got nothing to say about. <laughs> I don't to say. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just. Oh, listening. watch out! Number one, uh, you know, I I can appreciate that he did all he could for the LGBTQ community. Yes. But you couldn't lift a finger for the black community, and you know, while you while you was out settling situations, while you solving problems, he's the only modern president who never had to directly deal with the black community. And it was probably his advisors or somebody on his board who was like, "Well, it's going to be a bad look, Obama, if you if you give these black people too much of your attention, mm -hmm. then it's going to look like you're playing favorites." And they already they came out the gate with Jeremiah, what's his name? Jeremiah Wright. They came out the gate trying to trying to vilify him and trying to trying to paint him as a radical. Yeah. You know? And I get it, but I'm disappointed. I mean, it's so hard to because that's what the constant narrative is like, oh, bite your tongue, yada yada yada, like don't be too dramatic. I remember Michelle Obama came, I was I saw a clip and she said something critical. She was like, I mean, it wasn't critical, it was honest. She was like, Oh, this this is like the first time I've been proud of this country when they yeah. nominate him. And people are like, oh, why? And it's like, well, she has a legitimate reason to say that. But like at that point, Michelle Obama went to the back. You know what I mean? It was like, let's just like make this whole thing. And it's like, you see the impact of this racial system. And so of course it's going to impact the decisions that the Obamas make just generally, especially being present, right? Like there is nothing that he could have done that conservatives would have liked. They just, you know, Mitch McConnell and the Senate, they were doing what they were going to do. And so it's like, I was talking to Dr. Kimia, um, Dennis, and she was like, stop trying to play this game where you want to appeal to white people. There's no such thing. They don't want to mess with you. Do what is right for liberation and for your freedom and your safety. And that's what needs to, that's what needs to be the focus. Like you can't, compromising again only leads to us being killed and us being subjugated. So if we get it out of our head that we have to please folks who don't want to mess with us like that, then we can move forward. Um, but again, it is a really oppressive system and there's so much gaslighting, so much pressure. I can't even imagine what, you know, the advisors were saying. I my criticism of Obama is like his politics were pretty moderate at best, and yeah. you know deported more people than the Bush administration. And also, um, initially he was very pro Palestine, 
um, but then, mm-hmm. you know, was funding the Israeli government. And so the problem with that is like, like Palestinian, right, what is happening right now in Palestine is not just genocide, it's apartheid. And what they're doing, like the Israeli military is training cops here. So when you see a knee on the neck of George Floyd, that's the same harm that is being done in Palestine. And it's worse. I think they've they've incarcerated 40% of the Palestinian men. I was reading a book and it's like, it's crazy, but it's like, we are associated with the Israeli government and we're funding them and all the like crazy military access they have. And then they're training our cops to kill us. So it's like, you know, when we have to think about this as a global thing, all the rich people, they all have global business. Trump is doing business in Russia and all over the place, right? And it's like, they see themselves as one class, but we're over here in like different groups, even with like the queer community. Like, there is no, like, when we talk about regulating bodies, that started with black bodies, regulating bodies and enslavement, right? And then like, well, even prior to that, the genocide of Native Americans. And so like they did the forced sterilization, they did forced sterilization for black women, they did all of the things, just owning black people. All of those things are tied to the government deciding who's a person who's not and that they get to decide to regulate bodies. And when they do that, when it's like people are like, oh, you know, I have this issue with queer people. It's like, look, that has nothing to do with whether or not they're a person and whether or not they have bodily autonomy. And on top of that, the Klan is not picking and choosing who they're going to lynch based on, oh, this person's gay or not. No, they're lynching everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they don't care. So it's like, we have to see our global community and see our like selves in a, a, a class that is being marginalized by this white supremacist, patriarchal, colonialist system. And once we do that, they can't, we're, there's too many of us. They can't win. But when we like start doing this thing, we're like, oh, what? I don't really want to fight it. I was like, look, I know that Native Americans fighting for water rights in Standing Rock is kind of a big deal to me because I want a clean environment. Like I want clean water. Like we're talking about Flint, right? It's like, if we think this stuff does not impact blackness or impact queerness or anything, like we're missing the point. If this is a collective effort and we need to all be on the same team, we're talking about fighting for trans lives. Again, this is recognizing people's identity, bodily autonomy and right to self-identify. If there's not something more like entrenched in blackness than that, like, I don't know, like, we, we don't, we still aren't people, but then they had, they passed Citizens United, right? And then the corporation's a person, but we can't even get hit human rights. Like, what are we talking about? It's like. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the term that came to mind when you start talking about bodies, uh, which I learned from my wife, I never heard the term necropolitics before. Oh, yeah. The I was aware that there was even a, a term for the, the, the well, what is the, how would you say the, the just the, the the politics of <laughs> collateral damage, just moving people, doing things to people? How much business is is driven directly by death? War is so prompt. We spend six hundred billion dollars a year on war. Like we are in a pandemic. There's what five point four million Americans. I just saw a New York Times article headline. It was like. 5.4 million Americans like lost healthcare in a pandemic with a deadly virus that's doing some new stuff. You know, I mean, we don't even know what COVID's doing. It's other remix and stuff. And it's like, okay. The remix. But it's crazy. It's like, I don't, like, nobody, we have to like get mad enough and everybody has to get mad enough. It's like, they're like, oh, go back to school. It's like, people are, you're trying to kill people's kids. Like, they're really just saying that. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. Everything is just, and it's all for money. Because the economy needs to go back to normal, so they can. Build. I feel like you're playing Simon Says with the government. <laughs> oh man! Oh boy! 2020, but I mean, not 2020, more like centuries. Yeah, you heard what uh, you heard. What he who shall not be named said today. No, I did not. He, I he said that. Um, <laughs> um, mental health. 
He so, said that uh, um, Obama and Biden are the ones that stopped the COVID nineteen testing, and that's why we don't have enough COVID nineteen testing. Because right. because that make that makes sense. So just a little commercial break to throw out there. You know, uh, obviously we don't want to dig into why that. He not be named because every time his name comes up, it's attached to foolery that is. I mean, it's amazing that people will support him solely because of white supremacy, despite the fact that every time he opens his mouth or does something, it's complete buffoonery. As long as it makes you feel good about who you are, you know, people are buying into it. I did want to add, as far as the whole point of like collective liberation, we have um, indigenous community coming from like Latin America, right? At the border and they're being caged. And it's like literally concentration camps. Kids are being trafficked and abused and everybody's, and it's like, those same private prison systems are caging us in the States too. So it's like, again, like there's no separation. The, like the lack of resources they're getting there is how people, mind you, people in the U S prison system are getting better than the ICE detention centers, but it's the same people running all this and the same organizations making a bunch of money off of human labor and death. So. Yeah. Once I saw 13th, uh, it, yeah, that it cleared everything up. Mm -hmm. The movie had me mad all day. Yeah. So let me ask you this question, Shade. So especially from your perspective as somebody who has studied the law and, and works with the law every day, what individually and collectively, what, what do we what what in your mind are our next steps? What do we what do we do now? Uh, can I say this? No, um, whatever you want. Yeah. Well, so I just to loop this in with voting, people need to really vote as much as possible. Now, there is a ton of voter suppression. We can talk about the details of that too, but um, it, it's really one voting. And I say this knowing that like a lot of times our vote don't count. I'm not saying that, but it's one thing I noticed is like historically white supremacy tried to prevent people, black folks specifically from voting, reading, acquiring wealth, yada, yada, yada. Um, so, the voting situation, they don't want you to have it for a reason. Engage in if you possibly can. Now, it's really time to dismantle these systems. And I want to pick my words wisely because they'll probably claim I'm trying to incite some type of violence. Um, but these systems can't work without people buying into them. And so at every opportunity, challenge them. Um, hold politicians accountable. There are a lot of, like in Seattle, for example, there are a lot of organizations. There's um, King County Equity Now. There's Africa Town. There are a bunch of organizations doing work, um, Pox Swap and Greenlight Project as well, and they work with sex workers community. And again, this is collective liberation. Um, and so we will never be free unless all of us are free. So uh -huh. it's organizations like that that are on the ground organizing and forcing these conversations and demanding politicians um, be held accountable. And that's how we get you know the SPD's budget being defunded by fifty percent. So basically invest in your community organizations and push politicians. Be careful where you're spending money. I think Angela Davis, what is it? Um, divest, divest something and sanction. It's, it's DBS, I think. Anyways, basically don't spend money where people are traumatizing and killing people. Mind you, that's most, there's, that's most corporations. Um, so, you know, it's slim pickings, but it's one of those things where like money talks. And the reason why this iteration of this movement or of, you know, liberation movement is, I think, having an impact, one, because it's obviously building on the foundation of the other movements, but also because when white folks' properties start getting messed up, 
it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When the Redskins were, or, sorry, I don't even want to say it out loud, but when the Washington changed their team name, it was because Nike and other organizations were like, we're not going to mess with you anymore. So money talks in capitalism. And so it's really important to be, you know, aware of that. I, it's so hard. I mean, I had to break up with Amazon and all that stuff. And it's like the convenience factor, but it's a long-term thing. And I think once you start investing in communities, you get that money out of like, you know, for SPD's budget was $400 million a year. It was way bigger. Policing was 70, um, 70 something percent of the general fund. And again, we couldn't fund schools. That was general fund for King County. So um, again, if we start investing that money, then it goes to people who need it and people aren't going to kill you. Yeah. Oh, it's boycott, so, divestment, and sanctions. There we go. Thank yeah, you, Daniel. I, <laughs> so here's here's a sub question. Um, Hi, Audrey. Audrey wants to know something. <laughs> I I had it up there for a minute, and then don't I thought otherwise. Ignore uh, Audrey. Okay. Well, uh, Aud Audrey's Audrey's not ignored. There she is. I mean. So the reason why the voting situation, this is specifically to Audrey's comment, this is how bad white supremacy is in this country. Um, the Electoral College is literally a remnant of slavery. It was like, you know, when negotiations were happening for the Constitution, it was like, uh, the negotiations happened for the Constitution. How are we, slave owners, like Southern slave owners were like, we wanna still maintain the power. Most of the community, most of our numbers are people who are in change. So we can't do votes based on, you know, the people who can vote because we're never gonna have a, have a say. And so that's why you see a lack of, or a huge representation, over-representation, like relatively for smaller states in the South than you do for, you know, coastal regions and places up North. So you think about that, that is really what's impacting, like the, that's something that was in the constitution has been there obviously the whole time, has had an impact in really big elections, you know, um, not just with the Bush and Gore election, but also with the last one with Trump and Hillary. So the Russian government interfering is like, that's really not that big of a deal as opposed to our system that allows Trump to exist that like Russia couldn't do shit if our system did not give racists <laughs> more power in our country. So like, it's like the focus It's like, okay, Russia is doing something cool. And like, they do a lot of stuff, but like it's our system. That's the real problem. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Sorry, Dan, you were saying what now? I don't remember. Um, cool. I want to talk about Breonna Taylor. Go right ahead, with that. And I, uh, I'm so disgusted with the situation. I don't know what to do. Uh, I now I can start by saying, all I, all I, all I've been, I've heard is that the police system is working like it's supposed to. There is a certain amount of uh, leverage they get in an accidental death, and nobody has to go to jail for it. Is that yeah. true? I mean, it's like, so do you guys know about police unions at all? About what? Police, police unions. unions? Uh, well, I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, they're the worst. They're the worst. And so yeah. basically they just like somehow our cities and local agencies are doing like these contracts, you know, employment contracts with the unions and the unions are like, well, oh. we, like oh. we can do this. And we can, oh, no, do work. I'm sorry, you 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 were gone for a minute. Oh, I glitched okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, police unions basically uh, contract away our constitutional rights with our cities and local agencies. So that we can use this, you know, type of force, and like you have to do this, like escalate this many grievances before somebody can get fired. And it's like, look, like this is a problem. So police unions, huge issue. Um, and with the situation with Breonna Taylor, 
And she's like, they weren't, they weren't going to say anything until like the family kept bringing it up. Right. It's the same thing with George Floyd. They're going to just write it off as some type of, you know, it just happened. That's what they do. Yeah. So it, it could, it's like, yes, the accidental death thing, but it's more because they have a, a vested interest in protecting cops. You do a pro cop type of anything politically, you win elections, like tough on crime, all that nonsense that we know doesn't work. It's like, that's just like, if you come out against cops, how many politicians locally have actually criticized the cops? How many politicians that you guys have had locally? Um, well, in Minnesota, um, they, have, they weren't really critical. They were, mm -hmm. but the um, uh, police chief, Arredondo, mm -hmm. he himself has shown himself to be straight up. So, I mean, mm. Mm. Uh, you say straight up, like it's I like, mean, look. Well, he said the right things in this pers in this point of time. <laughs> he wasn't doing the right thing before. That's how George Floyd. That's executed. right. Keep it a check shot, eh? Because I, you know, every once in a while, the cockeyed optimism in me will give somebody points for doing what they're supposed to do in the first place. And like, also, like, let's be—we are very socialized to make excuses for whiteness. And like be apologists for white folks. It's like, oh well, you know, they weren't trying. Like they don't care. It's like, look, this is about impact. If we think about what is the impact of this person's decisions and activities, and if that is racially disparate, it is racist. We don't have to think about, oh, what was in their head. Nobody cares what was in their head because like somebody's being harmed. And so we like, get cops like, well, they're a nice person. Like that's why so people like, you know, I Carmen Best is a police chief, police chief in Seattle. From everything I know, she's very friendly. But that doesn't mean we're not getting murdered and tear gassed and harassed on the street with her police department. So again, like she is a black woman and her policies are terrorizing the black community. What she is doing is very anti-black and that is the manifestation of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. So people getting like, oh man, I'm really sorry. Like when they're like cops taking a knee, it's like, no, don't take a knee, take your badges off. Give them, oh. like give the community the money. We don't, the performative nonsense, like I, I'm 34 and I'm already over it. Like I can't, I can't. It's just like, there's just people, you know, people are just locked up in cages right now. Like. These cops, like nobody's checking them. We were trying to figure out, like, who do we call to find out if we can report the cops who are lying in reports? But everybody knows they're lying because the state and cities are just dismissing the stuff. It's like they know that, like, there's no legitimacy in it. But those cops still get to go out every night and terrorize people. It's like, what world are we living in? It's a like community who's broke and suffering and like trying to survive a pandemic has to be perfect if a cop's there. Like, if you flinch wrong around a cop, they had a reason to be scared and you can die. A cop who is trained professional and has all of the assurance and everything can act all types of wild and everybody make excuses for them. Glenn? No, you got Tell it, tell it. It's crazy. Like, we, it's just crazy. And they, they sell us so quickly. Like, well, you know, just wait another time. It's like, look, you can't have more videos. Like, I, I didn't even, I honestly didn't watch the George Floyd video because I didn't think I would recover. I saw Philando Castile and I had to take days off work. I stopped like, I can't. Ahmaud Arbery. That was the last one. I'm not watching. Uh, I thought that was the last one. Yeah. And then I saw George Floyd. But I'm no more. I'm not. Um, me and Nia said, I think, after I think Philando Castile was the last one for us, too. That was rough. Um, his, his daughter being there. And um, so I wanted to jump in with two things real quick. So one is there's a very interesting example here in my hometown in Madison, Wisconsin, which has been described as being very similar to Seattle in terms of it's disproportionately white and disproportionately liberal. And we have a- Y'all number uh, one. What'd you say? You're number one. That's Hi, Milwaukee. Carissa. Milwaukee is, um, 
Milwaukee is the is the most segregated city in the uh, in the country. Um, but Madison is is much Wisconsin wider. Wisconsin is the most racist state in the union. Just say it. Probably true. I don't have the statistics on that specifically. Yes, I don't know Milwaukee. Um, so our mayor here, who um, is considered to be very left and is a uh, white LGBTQ woman, came out publicly very, very critical of the police and then made a video privately supporting the police that was just supposed to be distributed to the police like that wasn't going to get leaked. Yeah, people are so... Just know yeah. that. And it was a huge debacle, and I don't know how nobody saw it coming. It's uh, that's almost as bad as the dude with the the, the dude making the tape of the Ahmad Arbery killing, trying to oh, submit the evidence, right, as, as defense. And then I have a question for Sade too on that same topic. Which, so obviously, you know, this is not, none of this is my field. You know, I'm mm -hmm. a musician, and I've worked in lighting and ministry and a bunch of other things. Not the law and not police and not any of that thing. So, but just from my outsider's perspective, what I've seen a lot of is when a leader, such as a police chief, does try to make reforms that would help, they are faced with direct insubordination from, you know, uh, from th those below them, particularly uh, uh, the officers that are actually you know, in a actively policing as opposed to the administrators below them. Is that, is, is there anything at all accurate in, in that perspective? I mean, I, I would think that, yes, like if somebody does anything to challenge the status quo of what has always been done, then people are going to get pissed about it. Um, I don't think it's enough to justify chiefs not doing anything or just kind of like, oh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, look, look, at like there should be never a discussion about whether like these are people's lives. This is not like, Oh my gosh, you know, like some car got broken into like the fact that there was a discussion about these cop cars lighting on fire when the cop cars one are insured and are not actually alive in the same like sentence as people being lynched publicly or just generally it's like, that's how much our lives are devalued. It's like, Oh, we're going to talk about property at the same time. We're talking about, again, I, I like the language you use Michael with the genocide. It's like, that's what we're talking about. So Cops being like, oh, you know what she's being like, I felt pressure from my subordinates. What planet are you on? Like, fire them. Like, this is, and like, even if you fire them and then people get mad and they come back, fire them again. Like, who cares? Like, people, this is the funny thing. Policy is nonsense. And we know this because, like, it was like, oh, we can't, we can't do anything. We can't do anything that's a big deal. You know, like, oh, we have a bunch of poverty. Yeah, yeah. COVID hit and all of a sudden trillions of dollars appeared. And you could just give it out to people, mostly big businesses, but still, like, the money was always there. And so it's like, look, mass incarceration and racism has been way more of a like public health risk, risk of harm and all of those things, a crisis than COVID was. So it's like, if you can make that happen, you can do the things to address systemic racism. And just like with the chiefs, like they can do the things to address the issues within their um, forces. For example, if Carmen Best, and I'm naming her only because uh, she's with Seattle, if she was like, look, I'm tired of this killing. I'm tired of this insubordination. If she made a public statement like that, and she threw down her badge, you know how, and I'm gonna give a shout out to Deontay, that would change the, like, if people started having some integrity and started operating like they are actually supposed to protect and serve, this would come down so quickly. And the thing is, is like, 
these liberation movements, they people get exhausted because it's only a small number of people. If we all did a little bit, man, they couldn't, they couldn't stop us. And like, they still won't ever stop us. Like it's going to keep going. But like she's sitting, like they're just sitting there just making excuses for why we die. And it just doesn't make any sense. Like if Carmen, if she dropped that badge, people would pay her, pay for everything for her forever. Community orgs would show up. People would raise money for her, go fund me. She would be rich, but no, they don't want to do that because the proximity to whiteness is intoxicating. It's a power thing. And you get to, you know, you get to continue to manifest that. And then like what the police department gets is way better. Like I'm saying black leaders, black community do not sit down with white power establishment, period. Unless if you sit down with people who have too much more power than you, you, there's not a negotiation. It's manipulation. Like you were getting taken advantage of. So until they see power, like that's how, you know, somebody's willing to negotiate with you. It's like, Hey, we recognize that this whole country was built on your back and everything we have and all this greatness was literally stolen from you. We're going to give you this. And so you can reestablish your own sovereignty and like actual liberation. And then like, we can go to the table and discuss that's when, you know, people are serious, but like in a poker game, like if you have, you know, three chips, and the other person has all the chips, like that's not a game. You're just going to get, you know, it's like, you're going to lose in a hand. Mm-hmm. So again, it's like what they do is they prop people up to tokenize them and weaponize them against their community. Say like after certain you know, Laos was executed, she was murdered. Um, and her, I believe three or four black children, she had, I think it was four. They had to be, you know, they were t- like, they just didn't have their mother anymore. And then she was pregnant. They hired Carmen Best and is like Kathleen O'Toole got fired. And so it's like the moves that are strategy. And it's like the language that Jenny Durkin, the mayor is using is like, oh, I sat down with black leaders. No, you didn't. You did not sit down with the black leaders who have been established. One of the leaders, Nikita Oliver, she ran against the mayor. The mayor acted like she didn't know who Nikita Oliver was. It's like, all of a sudden you're talking about sitting down with black leaders. You're giving them late notice to meetings and events. And it's like, it's everything is very manipulative. Um, Jenny Durkin was actually one of the uh, federal prosecutors who was on the, was do, doing the investigation for the inquest process for the cops. Cause like, did you guys hear about that? Probably not. Seattle was like, anyways, it's off in the corner. But basically what happened in 2012, it was almost a decade ago, maybe a little more. There was a federal investigation into like the racialized police practices. Like it was super racist. And the DOJ was like, look, y'all are acting up. And so there was like a consent decree where SPD was under the oversight of the department of justice. And through that process, like Jenny Durkin was on that federal prosecution team. And then all of a sudden to have that intimate knowledge of police brutality and the issue specifically in Seattle to become mayor and then be a mayor and utilize the police force to engage in unlawful detentions and all types of threats to people and chilling effect on the uh, first amendment. Like that is, that is how bizarre this reality is. It's like the same players and it's like, okay, Seattle was like, they're coming into compliance with a consent decree. But it's like, people are still getting harmed, but we still see all this. Like, so who is judging the standard? And I do know that judge Robert, anyways, I'm not gonna name any more specifics, but it's, it's very much a really, really odd situation with policing. Yeah. That's the other thing. Independent counsel. Yeah. Like that's, I don't understand why that doesn't exist already in dealings with, with cops who step over the line. Well, it's also one of the things like when they say independent, who's judging how independent they were. It's like every time, every time there's a system thing, like it's like the reform kind of mentality, right? It's like, well, if you put this new law, it's like Brianna Taylor, what they do, they pass that uh, no knock, no knock rates. They're going to pass laws on her and they can't even, they're not even going to bother to. You know who murdered her. Like the laws you need, like the laws that we have in the books are already there. There's no new magical law that's going to undermine white supremacy or dismantle it. What did Audrey Lord say? Like the master's tools cannot dismantle the master's house or will not. Like this is like the law. (laughs) 
Isn't that that smoke though? Like, it's like the law is not going to save you. It was literally created to oppress you. So like, yeah, exactly. And it's like funny being a lawyer. I'm like, man, I'm really about to be out of a job. I hope I am out of a job. I hope that I don't have to go in courtrooms anymore because it's a setup all the time. But yeah. Complete commercial break and tangent in that utopia where you are no longer a defense attorney because you don't have to be anymore. What would you do? Yes, but oh. so much smoke in the city. Can we get acknowledge that? So much smoke. Sade trying to move furniture around here, man. Yeah. All right. Uh, Go ahead, girl. For somebody who didn't didn't really want to engage you. Sorry, it's I get going on the stuff, guys. I didn't I come just... to preach today. It's always that dude. I didn't come to preach. Right. Oh, yeah. I don't know. What? I don't know what it is. Tell it. Tell I would it. probably, I used to, you know, I really enjoy like drawing and stuff and making art and having fun and relaxing. I don't get a lot of that, but it's, I do think about that in just like the context of like, where would we be if we were not constantly having to fight to exist? And I'm like, we're in our rightful place in the universe? Right. It's like, that's what it's like. Black Panther was so dope just in the sense of like, I'm, it's like this Afrofuturism, right? And I'm like, man, that could have been Afro past. You know what I mean? Like, had not we been subjected to colonialism? And I get pissed. I was like, I wanted flying cars. When I was like, about seven, I was like, look, year 2000, I'm going to be 14. We're going to have flying cars. Things are going to be dope. And I was like, there are no flying cars and everything is trash. So, <laughs> so. there are a few good sound bites in here. I wish I knew how to make gifts because I definitely make a gift of there are no flying cars and everything is trash. Um, yeah, but sometimes when you take these types of things out of context, you, 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 you're, you're batting the beehive a little bit, man. Oh, no. I understand no, you have a different no for this situation than, than a lot of other people could a Dan Spiffy Newman. Like you you know, you're on the inside track. Your 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 other white counterparts aren't gonna get it. Maybe some of them will. The one who is actually who is Nelson Toe? I I know him, but I don't know how I know him. He's uh I think he's a guitar player that's a Prince fan. All I right, well, I, I already, hey, get at me. I put a message in his, I, hey, Nelson, go check your inbox. Tell me so, what you need, bro. Michael's got you. So um, I take it, reading the context of what you said, Shade, is that um, you definitely don't think there's going to be any progress made on Breonna Taylor's murderers, speaking from a legal perspective. You don't see anything happening there. I mean, no, I mean, and so this, they could, so the Department of Justice could have always stepped in. Again, the local prosecutor and authorities, they're not, you know, they're on their whatever. But it's like the federal government could have stepped in. They won't. And because they never will. Mind you, last night they rushed to execute somebody. It was like the first execution in 17 years. So that's what I, they're about to do. Another commercial break, yeah. although a more serious one. I didn't even know about that until you posted about it. It hadn't even made the, again, and I'm somebody that tries very hard to follow local, regional, and nat national and international news, and that didn't make my news cycle. The, like, depravity and, like, lack of regard for, I mean, just, like, not only did the victim's family not want them to go forward, they're advised not to go forward, just all of these things, and they just rushed, like, 2 a.m., Supreme Court order, then murdering somebody, strapped to a gurney for, I was like, why are we investing so much money on murdering people? And if we're like, who does that? Like, you know how much money was spent executing him? Like, it's it's millions of dollars taking people's lives. And then, like, I think a lot of people don't realize. Let me, let me get, yeah, yeah. 
Why do they allow midnight legislation? Why is so, there a thing? That's the funny thing. It's like we're talking about, like, you know, the policy. Sorry, making I mean it. I got to get this out, though. Sorry, Shadow. No, you're fine. But no, it's like, again, like these, they're like, oh, you have to follow the rules. It's like they get to make and switch up the rules every single time. Like we talk about being, you know, democratically elected. And it's like, that's obviously not true because Trump lost by 3 million votes. So it's like, there are no rules. Like nothing is objective. It's subjective. And so it's like the Supreme Court had never done that before, but apparently they're all up at 2 a.m. And there's a decision like that comes down. I don't know why. I mean, I'm, I'm over trying to make sense of the legal system because you can spend decades. You're saying that. <laughs> right. I was about to say, how many years did you go to law school and you're clearly, and clearly paid attention? I mean, <laughs> like, but I mean, it's, it's like most of it's just like, you're like, this is a bunch of words and they say it in a really interesting way. Mind you, law school is very elitist and very much like who has access. It's not, mm -hmm. I do want to throw that out there. Like I'm, <laughs> our school systems, like as far as uh, institutions of higher education are literally like who feels comfortable in this space? Like I go into a courtroom, I'm not used to being in a courtroom, right? And so I'm shook, mind you, <laughs> Michael gets wild, <laughs> Mind you, other people who are in there are uncomfortable or more comfortable, right? And so they look like they're more professional, have more skill. It has nothing to do with like, like law school's the same way. Like there's people I went to law school with who came from like generations of attorneys and like they have access to something that I would never have access to or other people would never have access, you know? And then you have people like dropping out of law school. So it's like, it's this very elitist thing, but it's really just, how can we make it really hard to make rules? And so it's like, you go through law school and it's like, okay, now you can be a politician or whatever. But it's limiting people who like has access. It's always just like it's like rights of passage and nonsense. Um, so again, the, the people making the rules a lot of times are lawyers are just like in the back room, like, oh, they're politicians being, hey, if you sign on this policy, we'll sign on that. And it's like that's how they're mind you, we're spending hours trying to like interpret statutes. And I'm just like, well, I, none of it, none of it makes sense. <laughs> I just want to throw out a, a, a brief uh, shout out since you were talking about law school and the milestones there. Uh, this is the first episode that my mother-in-law is watching, and she was the first black litigator at the IRS. Her face is on a plaque at the IRS. Um, and she's, this is the first episode of our show that she has watched. I specifically invited her because we had a lawyer uh, as, as our guest. So I just want to uh, shout out uh, Mary Lewis. Uh, that's, I, I, I brag about that all the time, that my mother-in-law is you know, the prestigious, historic first in the legal community. Mm -hmm. So- um, it is crazy though. Your mother-in-law is the first. What? Like, that's how bad this system is. Like, your mother-in-law, yeah, is the first person. Like, why are there so many? Like, first black person who's first. But was like, what? I, we've been here quite a while. Like, why is this? You know what I mean? It's like, and it's just. I mean, congratulations. I don't want to make take away from that. That's dope. But also, like, damn. It's a great point too. Sorry, sorry. Oh, she did it again. No, she's probably she's probably right there with you too. Um, I don't know if, if she knows how to comment, but uh, I hope she had a good. Well, I want to commend her on her ability to deal with the IRS as the lone person, because <laughs> yeah, she has some interesting stories. Um, but getting back on on on. I don't even remember where we were going before because there was some, something else I wanted to ask you while we were um, while Michael got riled up and and uh, whatever else happened. Um, so I, I I lost it. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Me? 
whoever. I'm. I apologize. Okay, well, let's keep it moving because you know we're fast approaching the, uh, That's the true. minute mark. So voter suppression. Oh. Go, yes. Okay, so. Oh. Well, what part of it? What do you guys want to? What do you guys want to start? I uh, think. Start with the part that's most interesting to you. Wait, Dan had a suggestion. I'm waiting for Q. What did you say, Dan? You said, I think. I was going to say, start with what. So what do we need to do to make sure that we're still ready, that we, people who are already registered to vote are still registered to vote? Uh, what precautions do we need to take in terms of, um, you know, just what what is, what is the preparedness that we need to do uh, in this current age of voter suppression to make sure that when that first of all that we are able to go to the polls that we're aware of when the elections are and that when we do go to the polls we're able to vote well so it's i think it's very jurisdictionally uh it's very jurisdictional and so like i would know like i could do a google search where you know where i was voting yada 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 um and i would suggest that everybody do that local elections and federal as well um what's it's important i think i mean the federal election is more regulated, but what's happening in the local elections is quite bizarre, like Kentucky, Georgia, all of that. Like um, the Voting Rights Act, what was it? The, so Shelby V. Holder, there we go. Shelby V. Holder was the case that was 2013 where they, um, you know, undermined the Voting Rights Act that had been since uh, 1965. And so all those states and more states that were um, being regulated by the Voters' Rights Act were just immediately, I think it was like, what did I say, the next day, 99 bills designed to diminish voter access were introduced last year in 31 state legislators. So immediately, like, things just started popping off. And you see them having, like, voter ID laws, um, laws impacting, like, when the polls are open. You saw in Kentucky where there was, like, you know, they had the emergency order to open, leave the polls open longer. Um, what's happening in Kentucky also is they purged a lot of, was George, sorry, in Georgia, they purged a ton of people off of the ballot just generally. So, again, um, it's really important to invest. Wait, hold on here. There's a comment from Charles. Finish your sentence first, though. You can finish your sentence. Right. I got distracted. You jumped I, the gun to me, man. I know. Sorry. Um, the voting right, Justin Coalition. Community. I don't mean, mean to be openly critical of you on, on the air. It wouldn't be the first time, Michael. But you've, you've blocked her, and she's now she, her train of thought is. Well, no, this is a really good question. So. All right. In Washington, what's happening is um, we have mail-in ballots. We have a lot of different things that other states don't have. Um, and there's not like this huge purge of things. So in states that don't have access to that, it's again, investing. Like if people are getting, trying to find organizations that are locally that are helping people get transportation to register to vote. How do you um, make calls to see how people are getting registered? It, again, it's like putting your money where your mouth, it has to be like direct action. And that's, that's what I would say. But historically it's just, I mean, there's more voter suppression now than I don't necessarily comparatively because I wouldn't say comparatively, but it's it's really extreme and it's going to have a huge impact on people. I was going to ask, why is that even? Why is it legal? You can put Charles's question down. Thank you. I mean, it's technically like it's technically not legal, right? Like they're not supposed to be trying to prevent BIPOC from voting, but what happens is like policy would be like race neutral has a disparate impact because when you take the context out of people's lives in the law, like <laughs> then you screw people over. It's like, okay, if like, for example, they had it, so you had to have a, you know, an address and it couldn't be a PO box. A lot of native community like live within the community on reservations and they have PO boxes. So it's like, you're going to prevent the first people here from voting. Like this is how bizarre. And it's like, that doesn't say anything about native people. You know what I mean? Like the law in itself doesn't say anything about native people. 
Glenn? This is such a strange revelation I'm having now that, yeah, the, what appears to be uh, a leveling of the play field is not that at all, especially if you if the playing field is built here mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and you're building it for people who have regular access to things that other people do not. For example, the polls, right? Well, the polls close at what time? Into business? Seven, eight o'clock here, I think. Okay. In Kentucky, they were like a little bit earlier in the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, who, who did we find out were essential workers? Right. Yeah. Who defined, right. who, who, yeah. How is that defined? Who has, who has access to like, who can just like leave work or like not be at work at, you know, during the day on a Tuesday? Like the fact that the election day is not a national holiday, a paid holiday, just shows it's a setup. Like they don't want people there. They've never wanted people there. And like this, they look like, yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> they had, I mean, just like not even the voter ID, um, the, just like what they would do is shut down polling stations too. Like they just was like, okay, now there's only one for a county. And it's like, who has gas and money to do those things? And who's historically been kept out of economic anything? Oh, weird. You know what I mean? It's like, make it really difficult to do. And then like you have hurdles and it's, when you argue about this politically, it's like, you know, this is not racist. Like, look, like not only what's interesting right now is that there is tons and tons of information that's been put out in prior decades, right? So you have a ton of information. Then we have like super quick access to it because we all have supercomputers in our like pockets. Like the, what is it? The tech that's in our cell phones is like more advanced than the tech that puts somebody on the moon. So it's like, we have access to this information and they're still like, nah. And so like, that's how you know, it's like, this is not, there's not like a logic and reason thing. This is really just about maintaining oppressive structures. Like it's just, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, invest money where you can with people, organizations that are helping with voters. I know Stacey Abram has a campaign. Um, I think her organization does a lot of work other places, too. Um, but it's a big money thing. You see where the money, I mean, the reason why Citizens United got passed is because they wanted corporations to be able to invest more money in political run, like races. And they wanted that so that they could buy elections. <laughs> like, And it was just like, cool. It's like, that's a big deal when people who poison us all the time, like from all the big corporations putting all kinds of crap in our water, yet they get to decide who our politicians are, who are not gonna regulate them. Capitalism, capitalism. So another another commercial break. Um, you mentioned Stacey mm -hmm. Abrams. Is, is, she, is she your pick for vice president? <sighs> you don't have I to go on the record with this. No, no, I would love Stacey Abrams to be vice president. I would love Joe Biden to not be president. I would love him to step aside. And so, mind you, I think people should still vote. Don't get me wrong. And I think we should still vote for Biden. Like, I'm going to vote for him. I think that we, insane, we're going to vote for him. I think it's our civil duty to be um, critical of our leaders. And so, like, Joe Biden has a lot to make up for, and he needs to start listening to Black women who are standing right beside him. And don't use, don't get a Black VP just to, like, do some, you know, nonsensical tokenization yeah, for that. To that black VP. Yeah. Listen to your, to your cabinet. I believe that the, I, I, that's the only reason I have higher hopes for Joe is that he may not know it all, but I you don't know nothing. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> sorry. But he will hire the right the people who do, and he will listen. I'm 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 banking on it. I'm hoping for it. Hoping for it is yeah. That he won't be like the one who shall not be named, and well, completely ignoring his advisors, and just um, I mean, roughshod over the country. Thank you. 
he, I don't think anybody's going to be as bad as Trump. Um, but I'm also like, you know, we need to make Joe Biden accountable, especially the black community. Cause like everybody's so used to us as voting Democrat because like the other option is like, you know, lynchings or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like, you still have to fulfill, like, you can't just keep like depending on us and then screwing us over. Like we just, it's like a weird DV relationship with the democratic party. Like they need to get out of the way and like actually let people who are um, talking about liberation and not just like building, building their entire political base off of like, you know, tokenizing us. <laughs> but yeah, joking, you know. We could have a whole show on that, uh, but yeah, since we're running out of time, um, you know, the, uh, the other random question I've been trying to incorporate every week now um, is what songs are on your Black Lives Matter playlist? Oh, hmm. so I really am obsessed with Janelle Monae. Like, I know if I'm like really in like, I'm in a good place mentally and like soul wise, if I'm just vibing with her, like everything, so. Did you work I mean, with her at all, Michael, when she was at Paisley? I did not. She's just, I don't know, I just love her. She says all the best things and, and all the dope ways. And I, one of her songs is like, Make Me Feel sounds just like uh, Princess Kiss. He was involved in that, but he didn't get credited. Uh, he didn't want credit, He but he he co-wrote that with her and didn't take any credit. Stop it. See? I don't know why, I don't know why I'm sharing the Prince trivia when Michael's here. My wife brought up something very interesting. She's like, is, is it a prerequisite? These people that Dan are picking that they gotta be Prince fans is that a part of like a part of them? I pro no, I promise I, I don't. Said, even I, don't know who, I don't know who these people be. I don't. Uh, you know, I, it, it couldn't be. I mean, who isn't a Prince fan, Michael? It's probably Trump supporters. <laughs> you know, and we don't want them anyways. I guess. Like, no, he, no, they, they always love their music. They always love fans. Who, who don't who, who don't like black people? So I guess hey, everybody's a Prince fan, whether you like black folks or not. I'll tell you, one of my favorite things, and I know that you, for obvious reasons, feel differently about this than I do. I love seeing when a white racist Prince fan discovers that he was vocally pro-black, like especially on your page. You know, I know you get you get heated, and for obvious reasons. But it's um, hold so, so hold on, racist Prince fans come to your page, Michael. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> So there was an episode a couple weeks ago where our, we were I was trying to get Michael to tell some Prince stories, and he just yelled out in the middle of the episode, I don't want to talk about music. And it was because a racist Prince fan earlier that day had come on his page and said, basically, shut up and play the drums. Stop talking about stuff. And so he didn't want to talk about music for obvious reasons. And, um, yeah, people come, people come to Michael because he's, you know, one of the people carrying on the, you know, the legacy. Well, also... My page is in a lot of ways my protest. So, so I'm, uh, I, you know, everything I got to say about everything I want to talk about is is there. So I'm 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 easy pickings, you know. And fortunately for me, a lot of my friends on Facebook are people I actually know, who often come to my defense before I can even deal with a lot of these people. Cheryl Griffin, I see you. Adam Levy, I see you. Cinda Jones, I see you. Cinda, I, I still want to have Cinda on this show. Oh, we should do it. He's hot fire, man. Hey, you think she, you, you think she's going to be any more uh, uh, hot fire than today? 
Oh, I, 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 you know what? I've never spoken to her, so I don't really know what her demeanor is like. Now, with Sade, I, Sade, people take to have a problem keeping up with the, the pace when, when you're speaking to them sometimes. You got to repeat yourself. Yeah. My sister is, uh, <laughs> I have my, my youngest older sister. She's t she talks real quick, <laughs> real quick and real focused. And so I, I, you're not, it's not bothering me, but I'm, I, don't, uh, I don't mean hot fire in terms of speed. I meant it just in terms of all the, the wisdom that she was dropping today. Oh, um, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't care to compare our guests in that way. Yeah. They're, they all come from different backgrounds. So mm -hmm. I, and also I'm, I just, I would not, I don't encourage competition amongst black excellence. Black Absolutely. to band together and give everybody else hell. <laughs> so as as we're running low on time, Shade, is there anything we didn't talk about that you specifically want to talk about? Oh. And keep in mind, we can have you back another time, and I hope we will, but for today. She might be finished fooling with us, though. So. I, I hope no. not. I hope not, Michael. But, you know, we're hard to take, but I hope not. I know. it's a Yeah, we're not the most... Uh, we all love you. Be around. <laughs> we all are lovely. And there's just like so many different things to rage about. I mean, you know. First of all, <laughs> first of all she said y'all are lovely in the most like <laughs> like eye rolling way possible. I don't know what <laughs> you call it when you roll your eyes with your voice. Uh, but that was not the message. Not <laughs> it's like hey, Michael, it's like a Hollywood agent. Everything you do is great. Everything you do is fantastic. You know how they just you know, that was great. Mm -hmm. That was excellent. Everything you do is fantastic, and they don't mean any of it. Are you are you uh, accusing Sade of being disingenuous? I would ne I would never, Michael. <laughs> no, um, I really just want to challenge people to critically analyze everything, um, question everything. The information we're getting is completely incomplete. Um, hold government officials accountable. Hold self accountable too, because like these systems are so impactful on us. And again, the addiction thing, like 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 Michael was saying with the internalized anti-racist or anti-blackness, right? Like you catch yourself and it's like, whoa, where did that thought come from? So, like, oh, okay. You know, I call it Pat. Like when it's patriarchy, I'm like, oh, Pat's getting me again. Like, let me, you know, check Pat and shit like that. Like, uh -huh. let's be active in our unlearning. I think um, Rachel Cargill, she calls it the great unlearning. Like I'm just like getting into information and just trying to track because we really have to educate ourselves. Like nobody's going to do it for us. And empowering people to speak up. And like, you know, right now, like I got a call because I made a complaint about a, a guard I saw bash somebody's head into a door frame when we were, I was seeing back in the tank talking to a client before an arraignment hearing and the guard was getting aggressive with him and pinched him. It was like abusing him and like bash his head into a door frame. And I made, I put it on Twitter. I put it on the record too when I was in court, but I put it on Twitter. The office called me, the county, you know, investigative office or whatever, internal affairs office. Hey, I saw this complaint you wrote on Twitter and I was like, word? Like, that's how like speaking up is, is really important. Even when you don't feel comfortable, like, it's, it's one of those things that like, we have to take our voice back. We have to control our narrative, especially for black folks, especially for BIPOC, just generally. It's like, we have to be the ones talking about what is, because if like, we're not controlling the narrative, what happens? You know, George Floyd just happened to have an accident. Breonna Taylor was an accident. Like it's, if the people that you're listening to are not empowering you to create your own message and to ask questions and challenge everything, they're not supposed to be leaders. Like we can't have this hierarchy anymore. Like you have to be invested in what your future is. So that's, yeah, I mean, there's just so many different things, but oh, the child welfare system is a, 
literally um, child trafficking, stealing kids. So that's also one of the things, and that's a whole other thing, but <laughs> with like CPS and everything and harming black families and destructive, there's like a bunch of articles on it too, but all these systems work together to destroy people. But thank you guys for having me. You guys have been, again, you guys have been lovely. Was that like genuine when I said that lovely? You guys were lovely. You don't have to, don't look at Dan. We're, I'm joking. We're, we're, big, we're big boys. We can take it. Um, but I, but do definitely answer Sarah's question. Then I'll put Charles' question up there. Yeah. Um, King County um, Equity Now is a great group, Sarah. Um, there's PoxSwap, POC, SWOP, and there's Greenlight Project. Uh, there's Africa Town. There are a bunch of organizations that are working with the community that I would recommend. Um, Creative Justice. If you follow Nikita Oliver's page, she's got all the dope information. It'll be from organizations, what work they're doing. And King County Equity Now um, actually has a bunch of references too. So if that's a, um, if that's, a that's like a great starting place just specifically for King County. Uh, ooh, what national organizations organize all these great ideas and put them into action? So a lot of, in response to Charles' question, um, a lot of it is like grassroots organizers that like have an interconnected web nationally. So um, I would check in locally, but there's a bunch of dope organizations that are going on in DC as well. So I like to like, honestly, social media is where it's at people's pages, check out where the action is as far as like who's showing up to different things. If you don't see them on the street with community or in the courses community or doing any of those things, they're not really showing up. So look for receipts on what they've been doing for a chunk of time. Uh -huh. Oh, and crisis centers, okay. Yeah. So um, I'm try I was trying to figure out a way to segue, because we, we try to touch on a little music stuff at the end of every episode. I was trying to figure out a way to segue and get Michael to tell a brief music story. But we, we try. I try. I don't know, you know. You try. Yeah. But um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't figure out a segue. Um, Unless, unless anybody else has has one. I mean, Shade, you do you have any questions? Maybe. So I don't. So I have a confession. So I like, I was raised like I couldn't listen to non-Christian music when I was growing up. Like it's really like. So I had to do a lot of catch up. So I just want everybody to know that you know I. I see. So you not. So we have to be talking about uh, contemporary gospel for, for the, to be. I mean, just like a lot of like musical history stuff. I'm like, oh, I know I've heard that song somewhere, but I was like, I can never like pinpoint it. Or I'd be like, oh, these are this like crazy list of Prince songs. It would never, I know some, but yeah. Okay, that's all right. That's, I, 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 I'm, that's all right. We all came up in different ways. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, that yeah, I don't. I was gonna say I, I'm I'm curious about that too, but we'll 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 talk about that another time or off the air <laughs> or something like that. Um, yeah, Pentecostal. So. Kevin Sharp did that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you. Well, yeah, we. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, my church is, is Pentecostal too, but Pentecostal is, is a is a wide breadth, and um, and even the best. And I'm I'm speaking as as an ordained minister and as somebody who's been active and involved in church my entire life, even the best churches are still have a, a lot of problematic things about them. And it's, yeah, I'm church of God in Christ, Kevin. And okay. uh, yeah, you can't join in. You got to be born in. Um, Wait. And it's, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a church of God in Christ congregational song. You, uh, but the, what they mean is you have to be born again. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Not literally. Yeah. 
first time I heard that, I was, yeah. Um, what kind of, well, yeah, what kind of uh, cultish? <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, I mean, we'll, 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 I'm still hoping we'll have that church episode, which I guess takes You're me You're not going to go there in the last minute of the show, dude. Try to not today. I'm, I want to have that whole episode sometime where we talk about the intersection of the church with, you know, we'll the get, other thing. We'll get there. Oh, we'll, yeah. Plenty of people to talk to about that. Yeah. Shadi, are you one of them? You know, I mean, I could I could have a conversation about it. I, like I feel like there are people who are way more versed in, you know, theology. Yeah. Um, okay. Stephanie says a church episode. She don't know what we what we talk about getting at, but this is a, a good way to segue. <laughs> I don't think I don't. So we didn't we didn't solidify our guest for next week yet, right, Michael? We don't know what the order is going to be. I presume he'll be here, man. I mean, what else is he going to do? Okay, well, yeah, um, come on. Okay, so let me before you announce our guest for next week, I'm going to talk about some of the things we got coming up in the coming few weeks, and then you can announce that. And then if we have any time left, uh, I'm sure Shade's got more that she can give us. And um, <laughs> you know, I talked to her all night, but you know, we want to be respectful of people's time. You no, know, you got four minutes, Dan Spiffy Newman. Wrap it up. Okay, so um, not, presumably not next week, but the following week, we're going to have a, uh, a doctor and an educator to talk about uh, reopening schools and why we shouldn't. And also, you know, we'll go into more COVID-19, COVID and I think we'll probably talk about the sociopolitical aspect of that, too, and who's disproportionately affected and things of that nature. Um, so that's going to be... Presumably not next week, but the week after. Also, for those who are um, my Facebook friends who know me personally, uh, my dad passed away last week, and he was a lifelong environmentalist, uh, both in terms of his career and in terms of his, uh, like, literally every sec everything he said and did. And he was especially interested in climate change and global warming, and then also at the inter intersection of that and how they disproportionately affected poor people and people of color. And he was also very much interested and vocal about slavery reparations. So we're going to get some experts on those topics and and talk about them as kind of a, a memorial to my dad. Um, and uh, and then August fourth is my birthday, and so we're not going to have a guest that day. It's going to be me and Michael hanging out. But I want to invite everybody to come and celebrate my birthday with me. And you know, maybe heck, if some of our, our our past guests drop by, we can throw them on the screen for a little bit of Sade or or Maya or, or or whoever Tiffany or whoever wants to come by and say hi. We can we can send out the link and throw them up. Um, but I want everybody to come, whether you're on screen or just in the comments, to come and celebrate my birthday with me August fourth. And uh, Michael, why don't you tell us what what next week's looking like? Oh, my wife's brother's birthday is the same as yours, apparently, and Barack Obama. So, which, um, well, all right, you're in fine company, Dan Spiffy New. Yeah, can I can I just say so? I didn't shout out the artwork behind me is um, Adriana Woods, she's amazing. My whole house, too. let me see, okay, we'll figure out how to do this here. <laughs> like, so right here, guys are bad at this, anyways. Adriana Woods, she's amazing, uh, a black artist, yeah, she's got a little. So so after after the episode is done, you can go on at least on the Facebook video and, and add in the comments any links to her art or links to any of the organizations you're talking about. 
This mm-hmm. actually gets broadcast to Facebook, YouTube, and a couple other places, but most of our viewers come from Facebook. So if you put them on there, most of the people will see it. Okay. Um, and yeah, I was admiring that art uh, pretty much the whole time. And when you actually were talking about that you were an aspiring artist, I was like, I wonder if she did any of that. No, 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 I definitely didn't. And I would like, that was like if I wasn't doing lawyer work, like I draw and doodle and it's not, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, I, I have fun with it. Okay, so uh, Michael. Yeah, next <laughs> next week, my 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 good friend and and coworker Dave Perner will be our guest. He texted me at four o'clock in the morning, saying, "How you, come I haven't been on your show yet?" And I said, "How about next Tuesday?" You want to say what he actually said, or is that not safe no, for the I'm air? No, I'm say that. <laughs> I'm just gonna let you know that Dave will be. I, I hear Kim laughing behind you. Huh? I said I hear Kim laughing behind you. Because well, yeah, because he's he's as real as they come. Yeah. He he's uh, he he's if you ever met so uh, uh, a lot of people are, are putting it on. Dave Perner is the real deal, and you're gonna see how come next week when he blesses us with his presence on this show. Sade Smith, you blew my mind. You really you really have a gift for cutting right to the chase. You really have a, a gift for just <laughs> well I guess you're a lawyer. That's what that's, that's what what you do is you So the lawyer friend of mine that introduced me to Sade, I told him after speaking to her that I would literally buy a ticket to watch her litigate. Yeah, I get the feeling you're rough. So um yeah I don't know if that's gonna be a movie or anything like that, but uh yeah, I thank you so much for, for spending this two hours with us. I really do hope that you'll uh, come see us again, uh, both as when we do repeat guests, as well as uh, one of the things that I love about this is that, like, for example, our guest last week, Maya, you saw her uh, uh, in the comments this week. So anytime you have a Tuesday free and you're not our guest, we'd love to see your name pop up. Um, it's just I love the widening of the circles and how everybody that we talk to uh, on the show is becoming interconnected. It's just been it's a wonderful concentric. thing. It's concentric. The circles are. Mm-hmm. I will jump. Yeah, this was great, guys. Thank you. Yay, so. black excellence. Yay, us. Yay, black people. Say yay, black people, Dan Spippy Newman. Yay, black people. All right. So we th- enjoy th- having you so much. Thank you, Sade. Please come visit us again. I will. Okay. okay. And see you guys next week. All right, then. And...